This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that, thanks to the lockdown, has become the weirdo living in the loft. Now, another week without football and still no return in sight, but it appears the tide is turning, as frankly, people have got more important things to think about, namely life and death. The completion or otherwise of the various football competitions seems somewhat irrelevant in this context, or as Carlo Ancelotti says, the most important of the least important things. The Premier League and UEFA, however, continue to fiddle about. On the one hand, saying football is postponed, easy for me to say, indefinitely. On the other, that it all has to be completed, however they do it, by August. What an absolute mess. All this while Health Minister Matt Hancock, I'm sure that's rhyming slang for something, digs out footballers for not dipping their hands in their pockets to fund the NHS, the Premier League can't get the PFA to accept an across-the-board 30% pay cut, and Liverpool, the uh, uh, epitome of class in football, as we all know, have joined the ranks of the venal by furloughing their non-playing staff while earning £42 million in profit. Nobody seems to be addressing the very real crisis that awaits football if clubs can't earn any revenue for an indeterminate period of time, which will leave even the richest clubs vulnerable to going out of business. Football needs clear leadership and direction, and what it's getting is a distinct lack of both. If they don't sort this out collectively, we may not have football to come back to when this is all over. And as you can see, I'm in a really good mood tonight. <laughs> no, no hint or trace of a rant whatsoever. So uh, anyway, the title of this here little show tonight is The Premier League Fiddles While Football Burns, the Chelsea fancast number 499. And on this quite, it's a bit like a Lara-esque score, the show tonight, isn't it, Jonathan? Uh, oh, oh, what? A Lara-esque? Yes, 499. Lara, as in the cricketer. I was yes. thinking of Lara, Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. Really? Just for a moment there, but yeah, yeah. Lara, yes, a Lara S score, 499, waiting for it all to happen next week, where you have arranged a variety of wonderful events 
for everybody to listen to. Oh, yes, yes. Now, I, I noticed that you're holding uh, a very, uh, very sexy uh, Canon uh, camera, uh, which I used to use for filming. So I know it's posh. You don't have, if you want to record this on video, you just, you can record it on Zoom, mate. Can you? Yeah. I didn't know that. You okay. can do that. Go into your settings and yeah, figure it out. It'll be easier to record this like this because then I can put my card in the back of the computer and edit it. What I intend to do is put a minute of you doing that absolutely laudable speech, that praiseworthy speech, up for people to look at. To see well, there the, you go. To see the uh, the class that you have, Chidge. Oh, you're, you see, you're, you're all praise and it works. Anyway, how are you? Good week, bad week, and different week? I'm this off. Uh, um, uh, I've had a... Uh, I've had a good week. I've been working, done a few jobs, been good. Did um, did a David Walliams book, um, playing uh, uh, five characters. That was good fun, and uh, all very over the top. Kids book um, for an audio book. Uh, been uh, done done my band, done the Rudy V's, done two of those remotely. We're going to go through the whole the Rudy V's canon. We're doing forty songs, and uh, doing one every other day. And uh, sticking them up on something called uh, uh, a capella, as the Americans call it, and uh, we're dumping that up there and uh, and putting on Facebook and just getting it out there, just getting the songs out. It's just trying to do stuff to, you know, not go completely mad. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's trying to be positive amidst this uh, this um, possible tsunami. Um, and I, the problem I've got is I've got um, pre preconditions. I've got asthma and. Uh, and history of bronchitis and pneumonia because of a weak, weak chest. So I have to be really careful. So I'm just getting slightly paranoid is not the word, but just getting worried about it in a way that um, means that uh, I really ought to be very careful. So, but we're contemplating, I say my, my girlfriend and my daughter are contemplating locking me down in my office, which as I was saying earlier is a bit rubbish as I've only got a camp bed, but um, we're, we're used to me being a bit camp, so it works well, doesn't it, Chief? It does indeed. As ever, lovely to have you here. And, of course, you forgot to add the uh, uh, to the elements of your, you know, issues. The dementia that we know that you suffer from week in, week out. <laughs> <laughs> no, bless your heart. Bless your heart. You were, you were very tired last week, and I shouldn't mock mock the afflicted because I'm known, as we all know, I have at least 15 brain farts every episode. Now, um, this is quite an auspicious, inauspicious, uh, or even an auspicious evening uh, tonight because it, it, we haven't done this for a long time, but we have a debutante uh, on the show. Uh, now, many of you who listen to the show week in, week out will know that um, a certain Dane Whittle, who, of course, I met in the uh, pub a long time ago now, uh, you know, to have a few beers before a game. And, of course, Dane has been wonderfully, manfully doing our Instagram account uh, on the basis that I don't understand how to work Instagram. And, of course, he's been a very long-time listener to the show, as I'm sure he'll tell you. But welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, Dane. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for that intro. Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be on here, sharing the airwaves with you and Jonathan. So come on then, Dane. You you stupidly admitted to me earlier on that you've been listening to the show for a long time. Do you remember the first show you listened to? I actually do. I, was, I, I wasn't really massively into podcasts. I was quite ignorant and used to think I knew it all. And I was really struggling uh, at the end of Mourinho's final spell of just trying to understand it all. And I think I just needed an extra outlet just to share it with. And I come across podcasts 
and yours and another one. So I started listening to yours straight away and I was, I was hooked. I was massively entertained. It just helped me get through that period because it was a hard time, that, that Mourinho spell, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's been uh, religious ever since. Every Tuesday or every Tuesday morning at work, I managed to uh, be able to listen to you. And now you get to be on it and see what all the fuss is about. Uh, Daniel Francisco uh, from uh, from uh, uh, Mixler has said he's one of our own. He's one of our own. Oh, thank you very much. So that's a, that's a lovely welcome. Right now, welcome, Dane. Always like to have uh, a debutant. In fact, it's very funny because I, I spoke to Dazza, Darren Mantle earlier on. For, for I, I should reveal why uh, later on during the show. But uh, Darren reminded me that I have a a very Frank Lampard esque policy for the fan cast. That you know, you're on the bench. But if you're good enough, you always get an opportunity. So there you go, I've Dave. I've on the bench then, and I didn't know. Well, in a, in a certain way you were, but uh, more will be revealed later. Right, now, what's on the show tonight? Uh, well, we're going to have a quick roundup of uh, any uh, Chelsea-related news that I can scrape up. Actually, there's very little, really. Most of it's going to be about the Premier League and the UEFA uh, being at odds about a return and whether players should take a pay cut. Uh, having said that, I think that we need to give a massive, big, a big old Chelsea fan cast up to Roman Abramovich for being generous to a fault. And then just to wind Jonathan up, I've already warned Dane about this, uh, we're going to talk about transfer rumours and ask the very kind of, uh, you know, Durham and, or Dumb and du- du- Durham and Dumber, as I like to call Adrian Durham and, and Darren Goff, uh, are they made up? You know, I like to think that they probably are. Anyway, in parts two and three, this is this is what I'm really looking forward to bollocks to modern football i don't like it much anyway this is what we want parts two and three we're going to continue on our new weekly series 50 years of chelsea uh and this this week we're going to remember the 1970 71 season when chelsea won their first european trophy before liverpool i have to get in uh and uh, that was the european cup winners cup and we're going to discuss the key matches the players the standout performances and it's the delightful thing about doing this 50 years of chelsea is that i can guarantee you for every year i know that jonathan was at most of the game so it's basically (laughs) going to be the two you know two hours of jonathan rambling along about matches he can't remember i rambled a bit the other day i do apologize no people loved it particularly me don't apologize Right, now, to wrap up in part four, we've got two rather fantastic emails. One is from our great friend Vinod Ayer, and the other one is from Andrew Eldridge, or, as people will know him in Mixler, Andy the Hutch, who, as I suspect, uh, called himself that after Ian Hutchinson. And uh, Andy's email is brilliant. It's a eulogy to Ken Bates. It's well worth a listen, so don't go away. If we have time, and no, there won't be a ditching of the emails to allow us to do this, we might just get to play for the first time live on the Chelsea Fancast the Chelsea Fancast trivia quiz. So we might get there. So anyway, we'll see. We, we've never made it so far. I always, you know, hope that we might, but uh, we'll Wasn't see. Last week's show a record in terms of it was sort of three and three hours ten minutes or something, didn't it? Just. It felt like it. I don't think it was, but it felt like it. Uh, so there you go. Anyway, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea-Fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page, as, of course, so many of you do, and we love, we'd love to see you in there. Uh, there's a few more of you who have woken up. Our audience has doubled since we started rambling on. 
which is good to see. The usual suspects and then Nobby Steelers, Andrew Self, uh, Keep the Blue Flag Flying, Int North, Rob Coombe, Andy the Hutch, Planet Earth is Blue, Aussie Sign, My Broken Leg, Moniaki's in the house, Daniel Francisco, Cisco even, Bonnie Rig Blues, lovely to see Bonnie Rig in here. So it's all our mates, basically. It's lovely. Um, do come and join us, and I will try and read out some of your stuff as we go along. Uh, and, of course, um, other than that, you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast. And, of course, as Dane's here, I should I feel duty-bound to say, you can also get in touch with us uh, on Instagram, at Chelsea Fancast, where it will be Dane that will be speaking to you, not me. So you might actually get some sense. You never know your luck. Right, after this little interlude, we'll be talking about the football. Before, because this section's a bit of a fudge, really, as you all know. But I, I mean, I know that if we went for this, we could talk about all of this for about an hour. But uh, while, while while I'm off on a rant, uh, I might as well talk to some of the people in Mixler. Uh, who's uh, there's some lovely comments on here. Bonnie Rig Blues, who I know has had to. Uh, he's now uh, work, well, he, he can't work from home. Uh, because what he does means he has to be out and about, but he's been told to go home. And I know he's. I'm only. I'm only on day one of lockdown, and I'm struggling. Thank God for the fan cast. Bonnie Rig Blues. I'm very glad to know that you're not working anymore because I know that you do a job which puts you right in harm's way. So I'm very happy to hear that. Hopefully you'll be safer now. Uh, Billy Shears Blue says it maintains maintains some normalcy during these strange times. And keep the blue flag flying high. Int North says, I'm 20 and I love listening to our history. He's, a, he's our kind of man, JK. Yeah. In fact, he gets double points because he's young and he still likes listening to a bunch of old farts talking about what it used to be like. And when he comes down, we must all meet him and, uh, and yeah. dance around him. As if We're going to have a big party. We're going to have a big party. Yeah. Uh, and finally, Andy the Hutch uh, says, "You're lucky. I've taken to watching. Pa- oh no, that was something else. I want. Sorry, Andy. That's not the one I wanted to read. I know Dan Dan Francisco. I don't know why I keep saying Francisco. I'm having kind of a mental tick. Dan Francisco says, "What happened to Love Sport? Well, that's a really good question, Daniel, because I got got the call on Friday to say that Kelvin's mothballing uh, the station, which basically means he's not like pulled the plug." It means he's basically cut it right down to even more bare bones than Harry Redknapp. And I think they're putting out a lot of pre-recorded contact, content, maybe a couple of shows. Basically, he's kept, he's keeping a lid on it until we blow out of this crisis because it's very hard commercially to run it. You know, few ads going on, all sorts of stuff. So basically, that's it. I did my last show. Well, I didn't even get to do my last show on Sunday. So that's it for a while. And uh, the fan shows went a few weeks ago, uh, which is why we're doing these My Chelsea's uh, in lieu of no show on a Friday. So there you go. Anyway, we've just rabbited on uh, for no reason at all, because that's kind of what we like to do. Um, just to catch up on the latest news, really. I, I, Jonathan, I am really confused. Really, really confused. You've got the Premier League saying, finally, they're postponing all the football indefinitely, which is long overdue in my book. You've got UEFA... Uh, and FIFA saying they're doing it indefinitely. And then you've got Keferin, the uh, idiot-in-chief at UEFA, now saying that, um, number one, uh, if the leagues don't finish across Europe 
if they don't complete the leagues, then they won't be allowed into the Champions League because the only way into the Champions League is through completing their each league competitions. And secondly, he's saying we have to do that by August the third. I mean, are they all mad? Well, if 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 the the logic of that is that um, uh, the only teams that will be playing in the European uh, in the Champions League next year will be from Belarus. Because, <laughs> yes, because they're, they're the only league that's kept going. Because nobody else is going to play. But what's he doing? Is he attempting to somehow flout governments? Is he saying no? You can all play behind closed doors, even though some of you may have the coronavirus. And all the because all the logistics of getting a foot two football teams together means they've got to travel. Means they've got to go through other countries. It, so it's it's absolute lunacy, isn't it, to make that to make that statement? And I don't know what he's trying to say. They they seem to somehow they it, it it's so much money involved. You can see this is what the the major problem is. Every time every time I hear a quote from uh, the Premier League, it's always they've met with the shareholders. It's never that they've met with a committee and had a chat. It's always the shareholders and Sky are involved, and and it's it's as if as if the the, the major concern is the the financial loss rather than thinking how can we keep everybody safe in this environment. Um, so I, I'm uh, I also think I think it's absurd to say everything has to stop in August because everything might carry on. The season might ca- this all might carry on until November. So what would be wrong with just playing little bits? of of um competitions um in segments if necessary I, which i've said before i think would be really exciting for for people to watch so uh i think this is all premature i almost feel in some instances they have to say something so they unfortunately they're not the brightest tools in the box and they all come up with uh, the sharpest i should say they all come up with uh with just some kind of dreadful platitude that makes no sense it's almost as if they think ah, oh, well just put something out and they'll they'll everybody will deal with it somehow but no they they it, to me it just work it, it makes you realize how the people in charge of our game are are really not not up with it they're just they're just it's perplexing isn't it and i, I have to say dane you know what i what i don't understand i mean here, here's the thing and i i get that this is complicated but i can't understand why they can't wh- why there's such urgency on one level in other words why can't they just say look clearly we can't finish any of this stuff now Clearly, we have to put everything on hold. But the minute it's safe to come back and play, bollocks to wherever we... I mean, if, even if it's next March, we'll then finish whatever we started and then we go again. I can't understand why they can't do that. The only other thing that I will I will temper that with, Dane, is what, what, as I said in my intro, I don't think people really understand quite how dire this is for all football clubs. I mean, I know everybody's talking about non-league and, and the lower leagues. I, I, there were stories about Burnley saying that they will run out of money by August, and then that's wow. it. Bang, game over for them. West Ham uh, are trying to do a rights issue, apparently, because they're going to run out of money. I mean, you know, clubs cannot afford to be losing this kind of money. Even the mega-rich ones will take a bit of a hit. So, you know, I do understand that there's an issue there, but surely with the money that's in the game, there needs to be some sort of a collective will to keep people afloat. But anyway, enough of me waffling. And where do you stand on this, Dean? Yeah. Uh, Dane, even. Where did that come from? Sorry. Bra- they, brain fart number one, mate. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it does make you wonder, obviously, if the pressure is coming from the money that is massively behind Sky and BT. Uh, I heard something the other day that they've told. 20 of the Premier League clubs to be prepared for a return in June and they've got an agreement 
with the government that they'll play all the remaining games behind closed doors. You do wonder, like Jonathan said previously, if they could do like a an extended sort of World Cup of of games to finish the season. And if they was to do that and televise it all, would would there be an extra incentive for the clubs? Would they get extra money or is there already the money on the table from the previous deals? Because if you said like Burnley are saying come August, the money's run out and they could be going under, you'd think they'd be desperate to play as soon as possible as well. If they're getting money from the... Uh, from the TV companies, it's a... Uh, well, I mean, you know... that not against what the government says, can they? They can't. Exactly. The government, <laughs> nobody's supposed to congregate. They can't say, no, we're the, we're the Premier League. We can play um, We can play 11 v 11 wherever because they've got to travel together. They've got to... They, they, they We're all supposed to be isolating. We're all supposed to be, you know, within... With, with this social distancing. Yeah, what if they play, fo- play last, a football last, match last, with last social week. distancing, that'd be they, good. They said something about they was going to put all the Premier League teams in the Midlands and play the games around stadiums like Walsall. And, uh, Say that. That's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, wow. uh, one, one journalist, a couple of journalists actually, said there was behind, behind closed doors meetings and then they could try, you know, monitor it like a World Cup, keep all the 20 Premier League teams quite close together, quarantined, and all the games would be played behind closed doors, all football grounds around the Midlands. And like you said before, sometimes two, three, four, four games in a day. It's perplexing. And I mean, you know, like I said, I I really do get totally the the fine. I mean, I've been saying this since day one, you know, the reason why there's been so much vacillation and the reason why uh, the Premier League won't null and void it and I and I don't think they will ever null and void it by the way is because of the financial and legal issues that they're in with the broadcasters and us and everybody else but uh, you know I they cannot these clubs cannot survive on air for an indeterminate period of time that that's what I I think needs to be addressed but I don't quite know the solution I've Jonathan I've come up with a a grand plan in, in terms of how we finish how we finish the the league program by the way that yeah. nobody nobody has mentioned this and i'm astonished by this but you and i dana remember this too in the old in the old days in the old days in the, um, old, days, in the old days when in we had when we had well number one we uh, the football was basically run by the football pools if you remember they they they, they were the equivalent of sky if you like uh, and when we had, whenever we had bad weather um, it wasn't allowed to affect your football coupons of a weekend because too many people. The panel. Were, yeah, the panel, we had the pools panel when when the, panel. when the shush when the when the football was called <laughs> off, when the football was called off, the pools panel came into operation and they basically predicted the ma- oh shit I've just done it again I keep leaning on my printer and it starts to go off anyway it hasn't luckily, um oh no it, it's brewing up we'll see anyway well that's not my fault. No, no, no. It's my fault for leaning on my printer. There you go. Here we go. That's my printer, everybody. Lovely, isn't it? Yeah, so basically the pools panel would come into operation and they would predict the outcome of the games according to, I, th- I presume, the bookmakers or some, somebody like that. So why can't they just do that with the remaining nine games as long as we, as long as we end up fourth? You want, mate? Every Saturday at 5.30, as if all the games have been played at 3 o'clock, Chidge. Definitely. Dane, you were about to say. Sorry, yeah, mate. Yeah, I... I, I, I I think I got in the car on Saturday and they was doing that on uh, Talk Sport. I think with a dice, they was uh, 
going through a lot of fixtures and doing the results. And there were some very, uh, imagine that obviously a dice is like one to six. So there were some really extravagant score lines going on. Yeah, that that's um, that's Max Ru- uh, yeah, Max yeah. Rushton's Max program, Rushton. isn't it? Yeah, I, I I took part in that, and Marco the other week is very bizarre, but they're they're giving it a go. It's all very very odd. I mean, the other thing, the other big story this week, which kind of revolves around money, which has also got my goat, is uh, well, not only Matt Hancock uh, basically berating Premier League footballers for not dipping their hands in their pockets and funding the NHS, which is just ridiculous. I mean, you know. Why pick on why pick on an easy target like Premier League footballers when there are hundreds? I mean, we've got I don't know how many billionaires in this country, but there's a lot, and a lot of them are, are kind of working in media or commerce or the arts, you name it. But you know, he doesn't mention them. And of course, the PFA and the the Premier League have been a, a battling this week, and I think this is more pertinent to what we've been talking about to try and impose. Um, a 30% pay cut across the board for all Premier League footballers. Now, on the one hand, I think that's actually, you know what, given the financial straits that these football clubs will find themselves in, I think that that's actually, um, I think that that's actually really, really sensible. But having said that, uh, you know, I don't think I would like it if, uh, you know, somebody unilaterally imposed a pay cut on me, although actually that's that's happened recently at Love Sport, which has now gone the way of the pair. So I've lost my income there. So they shouldn't and, and probably won't be immune to this. But what really staggered me, JK, was uh, the PFA statement that they can't. The, the the government can't make this happen, and, and this shouldn't happen because, of course, the amount of tax revenue that would be lost to the government should a thirty percent pay cut. That's not the issue. That's not the issue, you fuckwits. Yeah, but it's what's his face. It's um, Gordon the, Taylor. Yeah, absolute he, twat, isn't he? Uh, he's the he's the 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 uh, the most paid twat, I think, in um, for somebody <laughs> left football from. Uh, than, than, than anybody isn't he? isn't he isn't he having a problem at the moment um, justifying once again why he's being paid what is it two and a half million a year for mm. for running that i mean yeah. uh, i thought they were trying to oust him weren't they that obviously didn't work did it that all that all disappeared by the wayside didn't it that uh, that attempt to have him removed from office um uh that's an argument isn't it but in reality i mean if you're earning sixty thousand a week it should really be down to you, shouldn't it, to say, I actually am going to give a large amount of my money to the NHS. Don't you think that they, that they should all get together as players and go, hang on, we're, this is a, a country that is supporting us, that is in dire straits. Let's let's contribute here because of the, the, the money they're making is stupid. It's just as we know. And they're... Ah, I'm just it's down to people's conscience for me, just my conscience. If you're earning that amount of money, you would you would go, all right, I'll I'll forego two weeks wages and give that money to the NHS. And that in some instances, it's who the some of them are earning 300,000 a week. So it's 600,000 goes to the uh, to the NHS, which would be wonderful. But they, I almost feel that they should. Whether this this may be happening happening anonymously anyway. But yeah, I think to his credit, is it Jordan Henderson I got- trying to arrange something? Yeah, yeah, he is. And I think this is all good, though. This is all good, Dane. I've got no problem with this, per se. But, I, I mean, one thing I will agree with them about is that, you know, they do earn an awful lot of money, all of which they're taxed on because it's pay-as-you-earn. Mm-hmm. So it's already going to the NHS. I think it's really disingenuous of the government to be doing this. This is not how the economy works. 
Yeah. Hang on, hang on, JK. Let let Dane answer. The the footballers or sports stars in general do get a bad rep, and they always pointed at quite a lot in instances like this. It's funny because I was just reading an article today where Adele's husband is apparently getting 120 million divorce settlement. Well, well, in a desperate time where... I'd have married her for that. 120 million divorce settlement. It's uh, crazy. So it just goes to show that that there is money plenty around. It's not just the sports stars who should be pointed at. But you're absolutely correct. uh, It's it's, it's a tough one for the players. They maybe should come... And as I... Sorry, I interrupted and said Jordan Henderson is trying to start something up with the captains of the Premier League. And maybe they should get together and come to an agreement between themselves, which they think is right and what they think they could give as well to help. Isn't it correct that Barcelona and Atletico Madrid have taken like a 70% pay decrease? Yeah, I, it, I, I, this is the point, Dane. I think, number, I think the two things are very separate. One, on the one hand, I think from an economic point of view, because... Um, you know, I think the football clubs, like a lot of businesses, are going to be in real trouble. And I mean, you know, if, I, if I'm if i running a, a business and we're about to go out of business and we're not going to survive for the next two months, I'm going to say to my staff, if you like working here and if you believe in this business, we're all going to have to pull in our horns and we're all going to have to take a pay cut, me included. And that's what I, I've done that. I've been there, actually, and I've done that. You know, it's either I'm going to have to shut the business, which means you all lose your jobs, or we all pull together and we all take a 30% pay cut and we hopefully keep it going. Yes. That's one issue. The other issue is should players be uh, you know, forced to, to, to donate to the NHS? I absolutely don't believe that they should. That's, that's, that's just nuts. And it's the politics of envy, if you ask me. The point is, is you all know. You know, Dane. You know, JK. These footballers put their hands in their pockets and, and all the time for good causes. And it goes completely under the radar because a lot of them don't like to talk about it. Brilliant article by Johnny Nicholson, who's a really lovely bloke and somebody I know quite well. And he did an interview with a footballer who wanted to remain anonymous. He said that he earns 200 grand a week and he's not, he gives it all away. He says, because I've got so much money, I don't know what to do with it. He said, half my teammates are the same. I just give it away. I don't need it. So, you know, there's this. Very charitable. Yeah, you know, this, this is going on all the time. So I think for Hancock, whether, as Andy was saying, he was put on the spot or not, it's just such an it's a deflection, frankly. Anyway, enough of this before I explode. Uh, we can't do this show without having a dig at Liverpool, who uh, have now a, a club that's earned forty-two million pounds in profit this year, who have furloughed their non-playing staff to get eighty percent, effectively tax relief off the government. That is appalling, and I'm just delighted they've been roundly coated off for it. Joining Spurs, another insidious club, and Ashley from Newcastle. I mean, you know, know thy enemy. It's no surprise it's those three, is it, uh, JK? Um, is it just those three, Chidge, or are there any? No, there are more, I think, but those are the three are biggies. More. I think those are the three more, more high-profile ones, aren't they, at the moment? Well, it's uh, their their answer would be that they're businessmen, wouldn't it? They'd, they'd always say that. That appears to be the answer at the moment for everything. Ah, it's just a business. We're businessmen. We've got to, we've got to, keep, uh, we've got to keep the profits going, otherwise it all falls apart. But... Um, uh, it, it it's it's uh, it's very poor, very poor indeed, Chidge, isn't it? For this? Yeah, I mean, apparently they've now backed off Liverpool because, of course, the one yeah. thing they hate more than anything is uh, bad PR. But indeed. they deserve the Roman. Roman, of course, has been uh, spot on, absolutely beautifully allowing the hotels for the NHS. And what are the other positive things he's done, Chidge? 
Well, I, 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 I have it on good authority that he's not furloughed the non-playing staff and he's yes. basically agreed to to pay them for the duration, which is, is, you know... I mean, this is the thing, is that, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, whilst, of course, non-playing staff are, are a pretty big cost, it pales into insignificance compared to what they're playing the players. Player, the player wages are almost usually the biggest cost for any football for Premier League football club. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about 40 50% maybe... Well, I mean, the FFP decrees that it can't be something like over 60% of their turnover, but it's damn well near... Um, so, in the scheme of things, paying the uh, non-playing staff throughout this is not going to make too much of a dent in, in a football club's finances, unless you're a Burnley, I suppose. So, good on him. But yeah, the whole hospital thing. I mean, you know, that's Stamford as well, Chidge. Does Stamford get Stamford and Bridget? Do they get it? You think? No, mate. No, no. Not after your excessive wage demands. They changed the whole financial uh, arrangement, I believe. Uh, you know, they they felt that they were being extorted when a certain Mr. Kidd was doing it and they vowed never to let that happen again. A tenner. I charged a tenner. Yeah, a tenner a minute, though, mate. Come on, be real. Hello. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, we should be very, very proud of Roman for his uh, generosity, particularly when you think that the, 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 the shit that he's been, you know, given by the government for the visa issues and all of that going on. What a decent man he is, by the sounds of it. I think he gives many, many millions... <clears throat> various um uh, institutions around the world from what i can gather i think he's uh, uh, and the whole business is his um his fight against anti-semitism was was equally uh, r- remarkable and and to be praised to the hilt i think he's uh, he's a top man the dilemma is of course is that um, his his funds may have been gained uh, in a slightly uh, dubious fashion but um uh one would hope that at the end of all of this, he'll have his his access to uh, to Britain changed. Um, obviously, he's not going to change his citizenship because he's now chosen to be uh, Israeli. But um, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I only think he's allowed. I don't know how many days is it. Ninety that he's allowed to come over here now. I think, um, and he had, hasn't chosen to come and watch us at all, which is uh, a shame. I mean, obviously, in this, he's probably having a Zoom conversation with Marina at the moment. But, in fact, um, actually, he's waiting to come in now, Jonathan, on, on our Zoom. So, no, he's not. I'm joking. Oh, oh OK. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I, I, I think um, he... Uh, yeah, I think in terms of PR, I think we're doing OK, actually. I think because that was a really generous thing to be doing. Um, and, and once again, you don't know what else is happening under the radar with him because he's, uh, he's a very... Uh, I think, hasn't he offered... Um, something else as well. I think there's another building that he owns. He's he's offered to be uh, um, the staff to be involved with, and I can't remember what it was. I read about it, but he he owns so much property around the bridge. In fact, that it, it wouldn't surprise me that he it's that is included in the uh, in the offers for the for them to stay the night at. So well, long may he he do that. Do you want to say anything on Roman uh, Dane? Oh yeah, absolutely adored the man. You know, thanks to him, I've seen or we've all seen things we never actually dreamed we would ever see. For some reason, he gets a bad, bad criticism from from people. Obviously, when he first come in, you know, a lot of the outlets, a lot of the papers, a lot of rival fans said it was just a hobby and he would soon lose interest. And maybe it's those people still now with the towel in between the legs still giving him that, you know, that criticism because they've just got to admit they were wrong. He's done brilliantly for us. And with our blue tinted glasses on, we're clearly the only ones who can see it. Mm. 
So, uh, big up to Roman as ever. Now, uh, one thing I'm going to rename this because there's going to be absolutely bugger all uh, football to talk about. So, I'm just going to name it this first part of the Chelsea fancast going forward. Things this week that have got on Chidge's wick. All right. <laughs> I think that's much better, isn't it? Uh, and actually, bizarrely, I'm absolutely uh, in it's simpatico with a certain Mr. Kid <laughs> on this issue. I know strange things happen when there's no football. Uh, transfer rumours. Transfer rumours. When half of the clubs have actually, you know, not actually... I mean, how many of them are going out scouting at the moment? That would be none. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just an old cynic, uh, but I, I cannot believe that all of these deals that have been purporting to be in play, Sancho, Tellez, Coutinho, you name it, Uncle Tom Cobley and all... I, I really cannot believe that this is happening at a time when nobody actually knows when football. But also when the, is when going the markets on. have all crashed, Chidge. When there's yeah. no, the money is less. All transfers will go down. Nobody's got the money. All the investments are worth half of what they were. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you decide to pay for somebody now when it might be that in in six months' time, say it was fifty million, he's worth it. It's the money's worth twenty five million. Why? It doesn't make any sense at all. Jonathan, Jonathan. Football yeah. London had a, an article this week uh, saying how... how um, what I mean, because basically the assets of Chelsea Football Club are the players. And they were talking about... They had a league table of how each Premier League club's asset value would decrease because of this. Yeah. And we... I think Tottenham were the worst hit. And actually, it's all to do... Right. What it's all to do with is how old the players are. So, you know, the longer this goes on, I mean, we've got a few out of contract, as we know, yeah. and if they get older, their resale value goes down anyway. But our, our, our asset value in terms of players went down by about, has probably gone down by about 200 million, which absolutely backs up what you're saying, JK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, but also, uh, from the other point of view, is that Romans, Romans lost 3 billion because of the sh- his, his, his yeah but that's stocks and shares that'll go know, back up they will go up i know but just in terms of money <clears> at the moment, if, he, if he's financing everything he's not going to be in a position where he's going to go oh, yeah we'll pay over the odds for that as well everybody's gone down everything's gone down so um, the very fact you're saying that west ham might uh, are doing this rights issue so why would anybody be interested in buying but also my big beef as i kept going on about is this 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 as you may have noticed is this is desire to sign Coutinho which, which everybody is now debating where he would fit in the side and you go somebody's made this shit up and and somebody's gone with it to a degree that they're now debating who will be transferred from Chelsea as a consequence of him playing who would have to leave so the it's like topsy it grows out of all proportion somebody mentions it and would you believe it thousands of people on the internet are debating whether loftus cheek will be playing anymore so it's not only just buying talking about who, what player will be bought it's about the composition of the side and then some bloke said well i think if he plays and they don't play well frank will be sacked then it's all about frank being sacked so it's got absolutely fuck all it's been utterly fabricated and it's shit beyond belief. And it, but also the other thing about Coutinho is, it's as I put rather, I thought rather, rather expressed it quite well last night, which was uh, on the internet was that I did say I was shouting it from the roof at the time in madness. Is if he's been rejected by Barca and if he's been rejected by Bayern, why would we want him particularly? Because somebody said, oh, it's because they play a different way. Well. Players are supposed to be adaptable. I thought that's what you did as a player. You didn't just go, sorry, I only play one way. 
I can't be in your side, even though I'm an international top player. No, you try and get coached accordingly. But also, so what is, what is so good about him having been rejected by both Bayern and Barca? Surely there must be something wrong with him, if that's the case. Not that we're buying him anyway, because of the situation that we've stated. But as I say, the knock-on effect, they're not getting rid of some people. We're, we're getting rid of Pulisic now. We're getting rid of Pulisic because we're buying Coutinho. Oh, God, the mind just boggles with disbelief at the complete and utter idiocy of this. Right, and breathe. Well done. Uh, you've got a massive love for that rant, J.K. on Mixler, I can tell you. Well, I'll just I'll just read them, actually, because it give you a chance to uh, have a, a bit of a breath. J.K. needs to breathe from Bob Usery. Dragon three-leg J.K.'s come undone. Uh, Disco Donny, ha, 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 ha. Yes, another classic J.K. rant. Uh, Bonnie Rig Blues, fruity language from J.K., beautiful. Uh, and then Daniel Fran... Cisco, he's a one-trick pony. I don't think he's talking about you. I think he's talking about <laughs> I am, Coutinho. As well. I have. Um, Dane, what do you uh, reckon? I mean, I've got. A th- I mean, number one, what I can't. What? Okay, number one. You, you know, you are you are our social media guru. I've just promoted you uh, from Thank just you Instagram. Much. But um, why is it that you know? Is it because people are so desperate to talk about football that they just haven't registered that it's not going on anymore? Is it? Is it because? I mean, I know I often have a pop at the the FIFA playing generation who I think are detached from reality as a result. Is it something to do with that? Or are they just are they just thick? I mean, what the hell's going on? I think it's I think it's just a bit of both because if this obviously epidemic wasn't on now, we'd still be seeing these transfer rumors and these debates and these videos. Uh I do watch a lot of football, but I only know Coutinho at Liverpool. I haven't watched enough of Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And he was good at Liverpool. And Jonathan's right. You know, if, if Barcelona and Bayern Munich are not really wanting him, then why, where, where would you see him fitting us? Maybe he does fit in well at us. I don't know. Uh, you, you see the sloppy debates. Seconds. We're not after sloppy seconds. Yeah, we? no, you're absolutely correct. We're, 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 we're a top club. We're an elite club. Because just we're well, just in the last week since he seems to have stepped up from somewhere that we've been linked with him. Poor old Mason's now been getting more of a battering. Yeah. I saw I saw one tweet that referenced uh, Mason and Barkley, and it it said, uh, "Oh, you lot think Coutinho couldn't do what Mount and Barkley could are doing at the moment? You lot are delusional. You know, it, it, everyone just wants to." As, uh, take a dig at the players we've got now with players we we might not even sign it just doesn't make sense people like to put their stash on one sort of horse don't they and you've got the Coutinho fans or you've got the Telesh fans or you've got the Sandro fans and it's just we've got some good players here at the moment so I wouldn't be wishing Mount or RLC out anytime soon or Pulisic uh don't know nowadays. Then can I leap in? There was a very good article in the Athletic about the fact that um, they had somebody lined up. Frank had somebody lined up, and because of the scout, was it was really pro the whole scouting setup under Scott McLachlan and how thorough they are with scouting, which I've I've always known. I've always pushed pushed because they've got a really interesting setup with all the low knees that all of them are watched and appreciated and videoed and then told how they're playing, how they can get better. They're not just left out there. Yeah, I saw a good off. interview of Eddie Newton and Christensen was both absolutely talking about right. how... Newton's gone off to another job now doing yeah. that, isn't he? Absolutely right. They've really, they really looked at it. And um, 
and and apparently they've from um, I've, I've I've lost my place now. I can't remember what I was talking about. Um, them lining up a player. Uh, um, yeah, that's right. Well done, well done. They were lining up a player, and um, uh, and Frank then came in and said, because Frank has a fantastic relationship, as we all suspected, but because he's an ex ex player and a legend, got a fantastic relationship via check and everybody with Marina. And they debate this all the time. And it makes great sense that that would be the case. And I've always been saying this because it's changed the structure of the club perfectly having Frank there. And they were on this player. And then Frank actually spoke to Marina and said, can you tell the agent we're no longer interested because one of the boys from the academy has come through. and We no longer need this player. That boy was. Yeah, indeed. That was all shrouded in. It's a very mm. good. You get some. You know, I'm, I'm sounding like an advertisement with the Athletic. You get some very good articles in the Athletic, which, which uh, it's kind of sort of the the kind of information that we suspect and talk about, but is there in it. And it's actually very nice to have one's logical assessment of something. Which I always try and look at stuff logically and go, if Frank's there, the connection is great. Checks there for a reason. It must be that they're all having these kind of conversations. They all get on very well with Marina. There's no. There's no. Uh, um, uh, lack of communication going on because of it's all set up and that's exactly the same kind of point and it was I was actually uplifted by that because I thought yeah and whether it was Gilmore whether somebody else it strikes me it might have been Gilmore who's suddenly been you know whose last two appearances was such a shame the momentum was so there last two appearances was so brilliant and he thinks well if I've got somebody who's brilliant and we thought was we were hoping would be brilliant and it then is brilliant um, coming into the side we are avoiding paying this enormous wage bill and this certain amount of money. Whereas, um, uh, I can't remember his name, What's his name? Zayech. Zayech. Yeah. yeah, because Zayech is clearly somebody that they were, they wanted and they were after. So he's willing to go that because he can't see a youth coming in to do that, to get in, to play in that position. But I, I, as I say, I was really um, excited by that news because it just made me feel, yes, this is what we've, this is confirmation of exactly what we've been hoping for with the club. Coutinho could be a recycled news story because in the summer, even though he was under the transfer ban, he was headlined as one of the players Frank would be interested in yeah. from a lot of journalists. So it's either recycled or it is actually true and well, Frank can see a place for him. And and I have you spot on there, Dane, because my take on this is that basically it's all a load of made-up tripe because basically you've got a lot of uncreative journalists who have no idea what to write about and of course, we all know anyway that transfer speculation is massive clickbait because there is a massive audience for it. I mean, I'm always told by the people, uh, you know, like Snack Media, who ultimately own uh, what we do, I suppose, you know, always saying, oh, you've got to do transfer bits, got to do this, got to do that about transfers because it's clickbait. And I won't do it because it's, I'm about as interested in it as I am watching Spurs play. So there you go. I can think of anything horrendous enough. That'll do. So yeah. link him to Chelsea. All right. Now, quick plug before we go to a break. It's been a very long part, but uh, I told you we'd find, you know, out of nothing, we create comedy gold, for want of a better word. Right. Uh, a couple of quick shout outs, actually. And these are important. So uh, the first one is that CFC UK, like us, is still carrying on, even though you can't get uh, the, uh, you know, the hard copy on a match day because there ain't no matches. But you can get it digitally, as you always could by going online at cfcuk.net. Uh, but you can also get the hard copy too. If you um, send your order to... Uh, basically, you go via email 
uh, and PayPal. But you basically pay £2, including uh, first-class postal delivery, to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. Then you will get a hard copy of CFCUK. Now, um, there's one out. One was published this Monday, the latest issue. There's another one at the end of the month, which I think is a JT special. So look out for that one. Uh, you can also get it in North America. Go to at CFCUK USA or contact uh, at dlundberg underscore. Now, to the uh, very observant of you who are listening tonight, you may well be aware that this is the Chelsea Fancast episode number 499. Well, that means, of course, that next Monday will be very momentous because we celebrate the 500th episode of the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, now, I've, what I've got, I've got loads planned for this. Uh, we've got two very special shows for you. Uh, we will be in our usual 7pm live slot on Mixler and I will be joined by, get a load of this, JK, Dan Silver, Clayton Beerman, Marco Worrell, Alex Churchill, Tony Glover, Joe Tweeds, Martin Wickham, Dean Mears, and subject to contract negotiations, Dane Whittle, uh, to have a good old reminisce about 500 episodes of the Chelsea Fancast that goes back 12 years. So there you go. Now, it would be great if uh, you can join in, in, in with us as well. So please email or tweet or put a message on Facebook. Uh, any of your memories about the fan cast over 500 episodes, your favourite things, your favourite people, you, whatever it is, just ping us an email and we'll we'll read them out on the show next Monday. Uh, so go to at Chelsea Fancast on Twitter or Instagram, Chelsea Fancast on Facebook, and of course the email address is chelseafancast at gmail.com. Now, the other thing that we're doing is a kind of a real, a real special uh, because... Uh, once we've done the live show, I'm not sure if I can do this before or afterwards, actually, but either way, there'll be a special podcast uh, with contributions from all the people that have been involved, nearly all the people that have been involved since the first episode back in April 2008. Uh, and that will be, there'll be, I've got, you know, contributions from Dr. Mart, my old partner in crime, Sheridan Bird, who was on the first ever show, Chell Tell. Chris and Stu Norman, Celery Terrorist, uh, the Blues Brothers, Ross Mooring, Darren Mantle, the lovely Lauren, Greg Grimes, who was our producer when we put it on TV at Sports Tonight Live, Chelsea Chadder, who was very much part of our TV show and did all the stats, the London is Blue Boys, they've uh, done a little piece for me, Paul Cannaville, Kerry Dixon, Jason Cundy, DJ from CFC UK, and many, many more. So, That'll be a lovely, lovely celebration of us reaching 500 episodes, which, even if I say it myself, is uh, something of a milestone. And possibly, if any of you were, uh, you know, in any doubt, should, means that I should absolutely be certified. I really should. Uh, now, if proof were needed, uh, we will carry along in the same vein because uh, after this break and the next two parts, actually, we're, I'm really, I'm loving this, uh, and I, particularly because you know we're lucky enough to have uh, uh, Jonathan. Uh, on the show but we, I decided we're going to do 50 years of Chelsea so each week certainly while the football's not on uh, we are going to do uh, a season uh, from Chelsea's past we started last week in 1970 when we won the FA Cup and uh, we're going to do this week the 1970-71 season which of course is very notable for the fact that we won our first European trophy beating Real Madrid in a replay in Athens uh, and I know a few of the 200-odd people who were there. Sadly, none of them are on the show tonight, but Jonathan will remember it, I'm sure. So after the break, we'll be coming back with all of that. Right. 
Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Uh, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, we had a right old ding-dong in part one, uh, which is rather long. We're now in part two, which gives me great pleasure and satisfaction, not least because uh, we are going to talk about a very important year in Chelsea's history, which is the 1970-71 to 71 season. Um, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I was far too young. I mean, just to put this into context for you all, Chelsea didn't really come into my uh, consciousness, really, until 1976. Uh, I didn't start going until uh, kind of mid to late 80s. Um, so, you know, this, was, this meant nothing to me at the time. But, I mean, what, the more I got into Chelsea, and the more I you know, read about our history. Yes, we do have history and all of that kind of thing. One of the things I was always really, really drawn to was the season in which Chelsea won their first European trophy because having grown up in the 70s and the 80s when Liverpool, Forest, all of these teams were winning European trophies, you know, easily, I was always very proud of the fact that Chelsea had kind of certainly, you know, won a European trophy before Liverpool. I mean, I know that Man City... Uh, funnily enough, were the holders this year, and we knocked them out in the semi-final. So we weren't the first English club to win a European trophy, but it it always seemed really important to me that we'd got our name on the honours board therein. So I was always very proud of this. And then going through the more pe- the more Chelsea people I got to meet, uh, I, I I was always really delighted. I mean, for example, you know, one of the early uh, kind of peripheral members of the of the fan cast was Psycho Phil, who was. Uh, Chris and Stu's father, and I know that he was at Athens, and that always, you know, endeared uh, him to me hugely, the fact he was there, and then there's a few other people, John Fleming, that many people who listen to this show will know he was in Athens, which is why he's called Athens John. So oh. there are a few people, there are a few people that I know who were actually there, and I, I think that that's a, a massive badge of honour, because of course, you know, there were about two and a half, three thousand that went there for the final, but it was held, the replay was two days later and not everybody could stay. So only about 200 remained. And I just think that's a wonderful story, which we will probably get to in part three, because I think, first of all, we, we need to talk about the season as a whole, particularly the league season. Remember, Chelsea went into this having uh, won the FA Cup, which we talked about last week, beating Dirty Leeds in the replay up at Old Trafford. Um and I would imagine, as a result of that, Jonathan, hopes for this season were pretty high, weren't they? Yes, and it was consequently a, a bitter disappointment finishing sixth. And I think we went out in the fourth round of the F, of the cup as well. Um, it, yeah, it, it was it was a bit of a season of turmoil that way. You could see that some players who'd been fixtures just didn't play very often. So uh, um, Eddie McCready only played fourteen times. I can't remember whether he was injured or not. Um, uh, uh, Benetti was injured for a period, so Phillips played for fourteen. He was pretty good. He wasn't as good as uh, as Benetti, who was a really world class goalkeeper, of course. Um, and um, what I'm intrigued about, which is something I never really thought about at the time, was that Peter Hausman, who was was um, was vilified by lots of fans. I kept saying he kept being called Mary. Um, he played thirty seven times, except he only scored one goal. 
but he was a much better player than uh, than people let on. Um, and of course, it was the emergence of one of my favourite ever players for Chelsea, who uh, unfortunately, when everything fell apart, was transferred really quickly, was Keith Weller, who played 36 times, but he only had, um, he scored four goals, but he was a big, big uh, player in the in the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, but he was, uh, we just waxed lyrically about him for a moment. He was... Um, very, very quick and skillful on the right wing with beautiful crosses in. And it's one of those players that you just thought, I want him to play all the time. I really, he's going to be great for Chelsea for the rest of his career. And um, I think we paid a hundred thousand for him. And uh, he, he was a, a victim of the, of the building the stand and it all falling apart. And, and he was a great disappointment to me leaving. It's um, in the same way that Hazard was a disappointment. You know, it's when you see great players playing for your side and you think, what's going to happen to this guy? How's he going to fit in for the, for the rest of his career here at Chelsea? And we were used to having success at that period. It was a period where we, this, was a, for, this was carried on from 63. So for there'd been eight years of having really exciting football at the bridge. And... This was just a continuation of it with players who were still coming through from uh, the, not from the youth team, but I mean, from, they were players who played with the youth. So we still had Ron Harris. Um, uh, we still had John Boyle and well, what we had, and John Hollins was still playing. Um, uh, and you had from the year before, obviously you still had Ozzy and Hutchinson um, and Baldwin didn't play as much. And I think what that's also was, a, was testimony to the, as we said, as I said last week, he was always substitute. He was never, this is why I personally, when you're little, I loved George Graham, who he was swapped for with a fee. And I never understood why. And yet um, he was there and thereabouts is considered, you know, part of that setup, but didn't play very often. And I never looked, looked at him and thought, oh, he's a great player. I thought contributes, but you know, um, uh, whereas Hollins, for example, played 40 games, played, um, uh, more than anybody else that season. And I, I can't really emphasise how fantastic Hollins was as a player. And also you felt if you've been watching him since he came in as a youth player, this feeling, this which um, uh, which I think we're going to experience more and more, that he's one of yours, that he really has come from from somewhere good in the club and he's just continued. And I'm afraid he soured it by becoming not a great manager for the club. But as a player, was um, a bundle of energy and industry, and I think his one cap for England was just a complete joke because he was an unbelievably consistent, ebullient performer. Um, and um, I mean, well, <laughs> annoyingly, didn't score a goal. But as um, uh, actually, they're substitutes. I'm not. I've got it all wrong. They're all substitutes, aren't they? They're all talking about. Um, so. Um, uh, he still didn't score a goal. No, Hollins didn't score a goal. Actually, no, no, I'm lying, mate. He did. He scored nine goals that season. He did. He scored nine, absolutely. No, but he scored... Um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. And the other other one, was, of course, was the, the continuation of Hudson as a great player. So you had... Some, amidst that, you still had great players. Cook was great. Hudson was great. Um, Hausman was still playing well. Hutchinson and Osgood were still playing. Um, uh, though Osgood uh, only played 27 times in the league, and I can't remember whether he was injured. Well... I can tell you what happened. I mean, there were two very odd things that happened with Aussie. Yeah. Uh, one, one was he he did uh, he did pick up uh, a lot of injuries, um, 
but also he uh, strangely um, had a you know something where he was kind of banned for a while wasn't he because he picked oh, up a lot of right. yellow cards that's or right. something that's but he, right. he got an eight-week ban or something that's crazy right. people were and the uh, the press were against him as well saying that he was a, a bad lot and that he was a filthy player and there was a big there was a god it's all come back to me bloody hell there was a big campaign to try and get him suspended for even longer but that's really typical of the way we were viewed as a club once again in that period as these this showbiz club as this big you know they're, they're all they're all they're not proper they're not proper salt of the earth working class players there's all something showbizy about them something hoity-toity about them being in the king's road and that was a an image that we really had for the whole of that period um uh, which as you said last week i think um we've we've still got to an extent with some... always have i think it's it's been you know that that that's <clears throat> for me that that reputation goes even beyond that pre-war i mean the musical yeah. club it's always been a showbiz club largely because of where where, where it was it based in chelsea absolutely yeah. i mean one of there are so many interesting things about about this season and i mean let, let let's let's talk about ozzy i mean ozzy had a phenomenal season uh the season before uh, when we won the FA Cup, as we all know, Aussie pretty much, well, he scored in every round. I mean, he was fundamental uh, to us winning the Cup. But it wasn't quite as good a season for him. No, OK, I know he was injured. I know he got the ban, but he only scored 12 goals. But I tell you what really strikes me as really interesting. Keithy Weller apart, who was brilliant in his first and only season, uh, signed him from Millwall. Um, he was our top goal scorer that season with 14. 14. That's right. Yeah. But what surprises me, JK, about that is that we had set up... I mean, in a sense, what Sexton had done is he had, he had tried to kind of move the side on from the FA Cup winning side. And we had a lot of flair players. It was really set up, in a sense, to score a lot of goals. And yet, we failed miserably to do so in a sense. I mean, as I said, Keith Weller was was top scorer on 14 compared to Aussie the season before on 31. Uh, the next highest was uh, Aussie on 12. And after that, you had uh, Ian Hutch on 9 and Johnny Hollins on 9. So we we did struggle a bit to put the goals away. I mean, yeah. I mean, as I said, last last the, the season before, 1969-70 season, we scored 96 goals in the league. Yeah. This season, we scored... Uh, 52 in the league, so we seem to have a bit of a, a problem up front or, or scoring the goals. Do you do you remember it like that? I, I just remember it being disappointing for finishing sixth. And you look at some of the results. You have to remember, of course, that Man City were a huge club at the time and with some fantastic players, um, Summerby and Bell, um, and Francis Lee. Absolutely. Lee bums Bell, Bell bums Lee, Lee and Bell bums Summerby with a knick-knack paddywhack, give a dog a bone, why don't City fuck off home? Well remembered. Remember that? Well remembered. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting watching the, so you look at the, some of the attendance figures, that Leeds are still phenomenal. Um, uh, 58,000 watching them at home. Wow. Can you imagine that in the bridge? 58,000. You're just... Uh, you're a you're a sardine watching, um, uh, jammed up against uh, your little fence that you've chosen or your stanchion, um, and then and then of course Huddersfield they're only twenty eight thousand, um, and uh, United Man United fifty three uh, fifty three thousand, um, and uh, it, you know it corresponds to the 
to the to the club. I mean, there were similarly sixty one thousand for Spurs because the rivalry was still there in that period. But um, but City, Man City, I'd say fifty one thousand. Big. I mean, huge, huge, phenomenal um, attendances, aren't there? Fifty three thousand against Arsenal. And of course, there was the other thing that came, which was Mulligan came in and played, who was a a really terrific player, given an opportunity to play. Curly-haired Mulligan play was an Ireland international. Um, uh, scored some fabulous goals coming in from wing back. Um, but yeah, he was very ahead of his time. Sexton wasn't he? Play, attempting to play um, uh, a kind of pattern of having uh, it was almost um, um, uh, not three. You didn't have three centre halves, but you had overlapping fullbacks non-stop. You hoped that they that they would be there to provide that not only the crosses, but the they were like a winger. So he had wingers plus overlapping fullbacks. So in a sense, uh, Weller was kind of midfield, but he wasn't. He played as a winger. I can't, I can't tell you how good uh, Weller was. He's absolutely brilliant. And as you say, Chidge, a season, for goodness sake, what on earth was happening there? Um, you also saw the emergence of um, Mickey Droy starting to play for Chelsea um, at four appearances. Uh, and, um, uh, and Derek Smethurst, of course, who scored in the uh, in the cup for European Cup Winners Cup final, who was another decent player. Um, I mean, that was the thing. That was the, the you got. Th- this is why the season was just slightly disappointing. Fifty-one points, um, and yet crowned at the end, almost as if possibly they took their foot off the gas and uh, and allowed them to be uh, competitive in the Cup Winners Cup as a consequence. Well, we'll we'll talk about that in part two. I'm going to ask you about a couple of things. You mentioned Johnny Hollins, and John John Hollins made the uh, highest appearance making for Chelsea, yeah. arguably his best season. Of course, a lot of people will remember uh, the uh, wonderful goal he scored against Arsenal when he followed up his own rebound off the bar to wallop it past uh, Bob Wilson from outside the area. Were you there for that one? We beat them 2-1. That was, was in August. I was indeed there, yeah. And, uh, and Mulligan scored, of course. Yeah, that was a wonderful goal. And in fact, it's that thing of them wanting to go home and uh, and watch it on the, on the. I think it was on match of the day, wasn't it? And uh, uh, was it was it goal of the one? Well, it was goal of the season on match on the, on match of the day. It was yeah. The if you ever get a chance on YouTube, please have a look at it. It's just uh, it's it's. I remember. I remember like a uh, bullet going back going back the the fact that you are going oh oh. Oh, when it hit the bar, you know that you do. Oh When he went back and got it, smashed it in. Uh, God, because he turns round on the ball, having it having hit the bar because it's gone past him. Turns round on it, gets in front of it again, and smashes it in. It's uh, but that was his energy. That he really was a top player, Johnny Hollins. There, there was another. This was also the year. Uh, some people might have heard of this, some people might not. But uh, when we played against Ipswich, um, which is which was also on match of the day, Alan Hudson uh, scored a goal that wasn't a goal because it actually hit the side netting. But the referee, uh, the referee, uh, basically gave the goal. This is from, uh, well, yeah, you know, yes. I can't, what, what can I say? Were you at that one? I was there. Yeah, yeah. So what happened? What do you, yeah. what do you well, remember he, of that? He had a, he had a shot and. And in his silky way, and they they uh, they all knew it had gone out for a goal kick, and the referee insisted uh, that it was a goal. And Chelsea were all embarrassed and sort of slunk back past the past the halfway line. And the referee was mobbed by all the Ipswich players and um, ignored them all. And the linesman, in wonderfully um, 
typical fashion, didn't bother to attempt to t whether he's, he agreed or not, or whether the angle was right. He just gave in to the uh, the superior powers of the of the ref, and the goal was uh, the goal was given. And uh, everybody in the crowd, that's what I love about it, knew it hadn't gone in. We all knew. We're all watching, and we're all going. I never went in. I didn't go in. And and we didn't dare say you're as blind as a bat ref because he just awarded a goal. But, you know, it was uh, we weren't going to chai Ike him, were we? We're not going to say you're shit. You know, you need to need specs ref because he's just given us a goal out of nothing. But yet yeah, was so obviously had hit the stanchion. It was absurd. So because the ball also um, went out to the left of the goal. It's not as if it hit the stanchion inside and came out. It hit the stanchion and then went went out towards the well, whether the invalid cards there, I can't remember, but went out towards the shed. So you thought, well, not only did it not go in, it, it must have, to have ended up where it ended up, it must have gone through a hole in the net. So, uh, but there was a kind of, of enormous chuckling going around the bridge as a consequence, which I thought was really good fun at the time. Everybody was laughing. Everybody was going, ha, 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 that never went in. Oh, oh, oh. That, that kind of, that rather than cheering, because nobody was cheering because it hadn't gone in. It was that really weird moment, fantastic moment. So, I mean, we were we were in third for for much of the season. Uh, well, certainly towards the you know the the business end of the season, J.K. Yeah. Um, and you know, do you, can you remember a moment when it kind of it dawned on you that we were we were not going to do better than that? There was a particular game you remember when you thought, well, that's it, the game's up. Because you know what we're like now, aren't we? We're all very conscious of that. All, all yeah, if we beat so-and-so and, so and they lose to so-and-so, we'll end yeah, up in I that position. I think um, uh, we, we lost to Tottenham in, in March, didn't we, of 71? I think that 2-0 at home, at, um, yeah? Uh, uh, we, won. we lost to Arsenal away and we lost to Spurs 2-1 away. Sorry, away, uh, yeah. And and I think I think it was then that it, was, it dawned upon us and there were a couple of draws there was a Southampton draw. Um, uh, so I, I think um, I think it then began to to dawn. But also I think I think they took their their feet off the off the, the, the pedals, as I said, because they were they were going further and further in the Cup Winners' Cup. And I think that whether psychologically that then became more important to them because they were no longer in the FA Cup and they were no longer in the League Cup. So that was the that was the focus. Well, just just having a look at, at the you know the results here. It's I mean, I, do you know what, Dane? I love this. You know, no matter how where where you look at Chelsea, some things never change. You know, we were doing all right. You know, first kind of half of the season uh, up until about January, and basically the wheels started to fall off. So we had a period January the ninth. We played Man United at home. We lost two one. Then we drew to Palace. Then we lost three 0 to Everton, who of course were the champions at the time. Uh, th that was away. Then we lost 3-0 to City at home. So there was a period basically between January uh, and February, about a month, where we lost four games, one of them in the FA Cup. That was the City game. So we lost to United, Everton and Wolves in the league. And I wonder if that's when the wheels fell off. And then, as you say, Jonathan, once we started to get to the business end of the... Uh, well, actually, do you know what? You know... What you're saying is not entirely true because we'll talk about this in, in, in no, the no, next part. It all took place in April, didn't it? You're right. You're yeah, right. you know, basically we played Bruges in the uh, in the European Cup Winners' Cup, 
which would have been the semi-final, I think. No, that would have been the quarter-final. And we came back from 2-0 down in the first leg to beat them at home 4-0. This is a match that I want to talk about a lot in the next part. But after that, we only had two more losses. One was at Arsenal, up at Highbury, in the 3rd of April. And the other was a 1-0 loss to Burnley. So, actually, our form wasn't too bad by the looks of it. But it's funny how you don't remember it like that. Um, I always thought there was a chance. I know you always think they might put a run together of all, all you know, of... Um four or five games it just seemed to be that there were less points you know you could finish six and lose a lot of get you could finish third and, and lose more games than you can nowadays that's the impression I got I think the c- consistency was you know you could there was almost more that feeling that if you won at home and drew away you'd win the title in that period um, whereas now it, it's you know people say well if you lose three games you're then not going to be uh, a contender for the title so there was always that feeling that they might just bring it back. But yeah, I think I actually think it was more the Wolves loss in the in in February that was a um uh, and the Southampton draw and then the Spurs loss. I think from then you then thought well, then they drew with Huddersfield who I think were relegated when they relegated that season. Mm. And I think yeah. that that to me to me that was the the home draw against Huddersfield which I remember being at nil-nil was uh, was a real downer. Because, okay. because they were they were in the bottom two, and we did that thing of of having beaten you know a, a, a decent club earlier on. Then we lost to the bottom team. Uh, do you remember how many went down in those in those days? Was it four? No, I thought it was two. Well, okay. Burnley finished in sorry. Blackpool finished in twenty second. Burnley twenty first. West Ham twentieth. Ipswich nineteenth. Oh, so it wasn't Huddersfield. Okay. No, they finished kind of mid-tables. Interesting enough, City finished eleventh. Now, listen before we go to the break. If you, and not including the uh, European matches, what was your favourite match that season? Do you remember? Um, I'm trying to remember. Beating Leeds three-one at home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Every time. Every time. Every time. I I I so hated Leeds. We all hate it. And Leeds. And Leeds and Leeds. And Leeds and Leeds and Leeds and Leeds and Leeds and Leeds. Yeah. Guess what? We all like Leeds. We do. So you were there at that one. I mean, you know, Houseman scored Aussie it was Houseman scored two, Aussie scored one. Terry Cooper scored for I think this one's been on one of those wonderful big match revisited on BT Sports recently. Interestingly enough, John Phillips was in goal that day. Yeah. but that must have been keeper. He wasn't yeah. somebody you'd go, oh, God, it's, um, um, in a sense, I think, uh, I don't know, on a par with probably better than, I don't know, you can't say better than Caballero. You know, we, we haven't, I thought Caballero did well the few games he played instead of uh, Kepa. So, Can I uh, ask a question, Chidge? Yeah, yeah, please I, do. Obviously, I, I'm fascinated by any season that the King of Stamford Bridge would have played in, but I'm also intrigued by Weller because I did... Oh, I'd like Jonathan to elaborate more because I did hear a lot of good things about him. I've got really good knowledge of the American leagues and I know he ended his careers there and eventually the late, great Keith Well, obviously he's not with us anymore. So, because I noticed his goals did actually dry up a lot after Christmas and he didn't score in the, uh, in the Cup Winners' Cup any other matches. So how good of a player was he actually? Was well, he like I, I think it was just his overall contribution. It was really exciting. It was a really exciting... Um, I mean, perhaps that may be a reason why um, they also they got rid of him. I don't, why Sexton... Sexton was very specific, uh, very specific about 
creating sides, you know. Um, but oh, and also they they were running as 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 we were saying they were started running out of money. But oh, um, so Sexton's because uh, I thought you was going to go down the path that Sexton would have been similar to Sarri's. So if Weller wasn't listening to his coaching, then he I don't I out. don't know. I didn't get that. Imp- I don't know. I, I I'm not as in- I wasn't informed then. I was I was too keen on. I still am to an extent, just the result. You just wanted them to win all the time. Whereas mm. I'm now more capable of analysing what's going on. At the time, I just thought he was a really exciting player who was unbelievably quick, beat people with great regularity and, and centre. I like to find out how many assists he made. Because yeah, he was be really, really... And the very fact that he played him 36 times in the league... And he sold him for exactly the same amount he paid for 51 him. times. That's hardly... A sign of somebody you didn't that he didn't approve of. Or, no, you're absolutely Dexter. correct. Yeah. So uh, I am uh, it, it, very upright, um, curly-haired, um, uh, just you know, uh, exciting, really exciting player. And um, as I said, so disappointed that he got sold. And it it must have been a financial reason because it yeah. can't have been it can't have been a, um, a, a, a form thing. You would never have played him in the first team if that was the case. Yeah, I just wondered if it was going down the Fenable sort of George Graham. Road. No, I don't, but I don't think he was difficult. I didn't get that impression. I but once again, we didn't have the we didn't have the uh, the rumor mill in the same way. I think, uh, from what I understand, and I'm actually this is this is I'm I'm dipping into this again. Actually, Tim Rolls's wonderful book, Stamford Bridge is falling down, which basically starts in this season, and and the perspective on it is that you know basically Chelsea were at the top of a wave you know they they won the FA Cup they just they were about to win the European Cup winners cup they should have been on the crest of a wave there was a real feeling of uh, positivity around the club Brian Mears decided to go and build a new 50,000 seater stadium they were they'd bought the freehold of the ground all of these things were coming together but that was not happening basically what was happening behind the scenes was that they were already suffering financially because of what they're about to do with the club. And they were starting to let players go. So instead of buying really, really top quality players, they were beginning to let players go. Keith Weller, it's cited by a lot of the players in in Tim's book when he writes about this, was was seen in retrospect as the beginning of the end. Because I think a lot of the current squad who were really ambitious, the likes of Ozzy, Hudson, Dave Webb, people like that, thought, well, if you're letting people like him go, we're not going in the right direction. And that's that was the start of the disaffection, yeah. apparently, yeah, which is really, sense. yeah, really, really fascinating because he was wonderful. And I know people like you, Jonathan, who who were there to see him play in that year, who who just talked so fondly about him and effusively about him. What a great player he was! And then we let him go. And you know, it, it I ca- I cannot recommend Tim's book highly enough. It co- covers the period we're about to go into, actually, yeah. and then beautifully. Um, you know, the Eddie McCready book that uh, Marco and Dave and, and I think Kelvin and Mark Meehan wrote, that covers the next period after that. And then when that's finished, Kelvin's book, Celery, uh, representing Chelsea the 80s, will cover everything we're going to talk about in the 80s. We've got all mates have written these fantastic books, which will give us a really lovely insight to add, I think, complement Jonathan's memories. Now, we're going to have a quick break and then we're going to talk about... Um, the wonderful, uh, was I said, something that I, I always, you know, view with massive affection was when we won the uh, Cup Winners' Cup final in Athens. But before I do, just a quick mention, uh, just to say thank you, as always, to the lovely people who are on Patreon. 
uh, who uh, I am massively indebted to. Uh, thank you so much for your support of what we do. If you if you do uh, love what we do on this show and you want to help us keep it afloat, um, uh, you know, any amount, large or small, really, really helps. So uh, easy to do. Just go to patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Chelsea fancast and you can donate whatever you like every month. Um, and as I said, it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, you know, the fanzines are up only a pound. So, you know, whatever you feel is appropriate. It's a good way of keeping in touch with me as well. So you can message me and, you know, I, I always say this every week about trying to think of things to do on there for you. I'll keep racking the old mighty brain. A bit difficult when there's no football on at the moment. But uh, it, we will not be downhearted and we will keep on at it. Anyway, we'll be back after this break. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, I am delighted to be joined by Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Buonasera. And uh, even more delighted if that could indeed be possible and true. But to welcome Dane Whittle for his debut Chelsea fancast. Thank you very much. Good evening, everyone. Lovely to have you on board, Dane. Now, we spent uh, part two talking all about Chelsea's 1970-71 season. And I want to kind of focus on what most people remember from this season, which, of course, is the the wonderful... uh, European Cup Winners' Cup campaign, uh, which, of course, ended up with Chelsea winning the Cup against Real Madrid, would you believe, uh, in Athens after a replay. Chelsea liked liked going to replays in uh, Cup finals, and they certainly did in those days. Um, 
it, I mean, you know, the thing is, it was it was it was a funny old competition, really, wasn't it? We had the European Cup, which was uh, very much lauded as the premier uh, European competition, quite quite rightly so. Which, of course, England had begun to have success in because United had won it in '68, Celtic had famously won it in uh, in 1967. Uh, Leeds uh, were, were, you know, all, all of our clubs were there or thereabouts. Uh, so that you know, the the cup winners cup was kind of a bit of a misnomer. Although you know, England had had a lot of. I mean, City had won it the year before. Uh, I think uh, there were the Fairs Cup competitions were around. West Ham had won it, haven't they, in, in nineteen sixty five? So English clubs, like they then went on to do in the seventies, were, were were fairly good at winning trophies in Europe. But I tell you, the one thing that I don't understand, Jonathan is what the mindset of the fans were was to this competition. I mean, you know, like now, we're all very highly highly tuned in, aren't we, to Chelsea being in European competition and the importance of winning it and doing well. You know, I just can't... I mean, and I know we'd been in European competition in the mid-60s, although we'd been a bit unlucky. I mean, we lost to Barca in that semi, didn't we, in 60, yeah, 65. Yeah. What were the fans' expectations and what were their feelings around the Cup Winners' Cup before we kind of... Kicked a ball in uh, in, uh, in 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 Salonica, in fact, wasn't it? Well, it, it wasn't as um, as ex- excited as uh, I think the FA Cup generated. Just because you just need to look at the attendances to see that they're all forty thousand and forty five thousand. I mean, it's a huge crowd, but it's still fifteen thousand down on what you'd expect for playing a, a top game, and um, and even the. Uh, Excuse me. The semi, the Man City semi-final only had forty-five thousand. So, um, uh, I don't think it. I don't think it was that. Uh, it, it, it meant as much to the fans as the 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 the, the diehards. Obviously, they'd go and watch it. I mean, forty-five thousand diehards. Um, uh, I was at the Man City game. I actually don't think I went to any of the other rounds, um, which. Um, I think just from the school aspect, really. Um, but I was definitely at the Man City game. And uh, um, I can't remember about the the club Brugge. Um, uh, my, my mother's fear all the time was that if there was any extra time, it was too late for me So uh, with school. So uh, I tended not to go to the evening games um, for that reason at that period. Um, but, yeah, I... I I got, I just got the impression that we weren't, um, I don't know. It, well, it, 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 there was a kind of feeling that the, also the, the, um, uh, the, the European cup was the best, as you said, was the hugest prize to get because it was so much more difficult. And in actual fact, the cup winners cup was a slightly, um, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a, a weedy addition in comparison. Um, but uh, it was it was still a very exciting time to see us progress, um, uh, particularly after beating City, who were once ago I keep saying were a very good team, and uh, and we beat them two 0 on a- aggregate. Um, so I uh, know it was, and the final, of course, then we're all madly keen on watching it, and it's only it's on as a a late night, isn't it? Well, so, let's park the final for now because I, I want to go back to the beginning of it because I've interviewed, as you know, for the Chelsea special, the likes of Johnny Boyle, Tommy Baldwin, Chopper, yeah, uh, all of whom uh, figured hugely in, in this European 
uh, Cup run, and and I've always been fascinated in it. And Johnny Boyle and uh, and Tommy Baldwin particularly are hilarious on this. But the the impression that they certainly gave me was in the early rounds. It was treated by them as a bit of a like a jolly. You know, they were go. I mean, like the Salonica they loved September, beautifully sunny, lots of air hostesses for them to you know have hanky panky with on the way there and on the way back and they did uh and a bit of sun sea and sand and sangria basically with a bit of nookie thrown in so they were they were all very uh you know all very kind of loving the jolly aspect of it um even sophia i think you know there was a bit of host air hostess shenanigans going on but really the competition i don't think really came to life for chelsea until the bruges match where they they lost 2-0 away but in the return leg, uh, they pulled out. I mean, actually, from people I know who were there and remember this, and even talking to Tommy Baldwin about it, who was who was brilliant on this. And by the way, well, it was a, a good, great performance. Great. Performance. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll plug this again later. But do do please, if you're interested in in this uh, tournament particularly, Tommy Baldwin and the Chelsea special is brilliant on this. But and he talks a lot about the Bruges match and he remembers it fondly, uh, and it was. It was a real ding-dong match. It went to extra time. I mean, basically, Aussie put in an absolutely superb performance. Uh, he and he and uh, Tommy Baldwin hooked up brilliantly that night, as they often did. And um, basically, uh, yeah, Aussie scored in 81 minutes to take it into extra time. Houseman had scored on 21 minutes. And then it was the Aussie and the Baldwin show in extra time, with Aussie scoring his second on 114 minutes and Tommy Baldwin scoring... On 117, so that kind of took us beautifully through to uh, a semi-final uh, against Man City, which of course Jonathan Jonathan was at. I've, so, I've, do, you, do you remember anything about that? I think I was at the the the, the Brugger game as well, actually. Do you remember? What do you remember? Uh, what that of just the the um, the tension of being t- being you know two 0 and level on aggregate and thinking they might score, you know that thing. So uh, it's that I. Uh, I can't remember. I need to find my program collection, which is in storage at the moment. And just, well, just once again, it's always if I've got the program, I was there. But it, what well, it's, it's these little things. When you mention something, I then go, oh yeah, God, I remember. God bloody hell, yeah, I remember it being. It's that tense <clears throat> thing of thinking, you know, you've got to to two all, and then every single attack they have, you're convinced they're going to score, and uh, and you want so much you to score, and then it, you know, it, it's obviously there's extra time. And then yes, I think Osgood was supreme. But you have to remember that Osgood was uh, was a wonderful player. There was always every chance that a goal would be. The accuracy of his shooting is something that that you must really remember. That he from wherever he was, he'd find the top corner frequently or just get it. He was just a um, a really class act, Osgood. Wonderful, wonderful player. I've got I some lovely game was attrition really. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, Good tactical battle, wasn't it? I've got some lovely uh, quotes from our mates from last week, uh, Jonathan. Desmond Hackett, remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, in the... I don't know what papers these are, sadly, but they're, 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 they're just wonderful. Uh, oh, no, the Daily Sketch. God, what was the Daily Sketch? Anyway. It joined with the uh, Mirror, didn't it? Eventually. Right, may have done. Brian Scovell, it's a joy night for... King Aussie. Uh, Aussie and Sexton are quoted here. Dave Sexton says, this was the greatest Chelsea night since we won the FA Cup. With only nine minutes left and another goal needed, I wondered whether to make a substitution, but I decided to leave things alone. Aussie says, 
I wasn't shattered after 90 minutes. I was after 45, but I just kept plugging away. When I got the equaliser, I knew we would win. And the, the point the point being here, as uh, Desmond Hackett writes, as Peter Osgood came out of eight weeks in forced exile last night to put Chelsea into the semi-finals of the European Cup Winners' Cup. This unforgettable match went into 30 minutes of extra time and every second of those 30 minutes was an edge-of-the-seat thriller as the Belgians gallantly tried to resist the endless storming charges of Chelsea. Osgood marked his return from the Football Association's disciplinary suspension with a goal in ordinary time, which was what equalised the match, and then with the first of Chelsea's two match-clinching extra-time goals. The first goal of the night was scored by Peter Hausman after 20 minutes. Tommy Baldwin playing as though his life depended upon this game. Flicked the ball through to Osgood, who nodded down for Hausman. So basically, as I said, Ozzy and, and, and Tommy Baldwin, as I said, he talks about this, and he had an absolute blinder. Um, so I think, you know, ultimately it has to go down, uh, really, as one of Chelsea's greatest European nights. I mean, we've had a few, JK, but I'd say that's got to be up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the the um, the uh, celebrations at the the end of the game were absolutely phenomenal, actually. And yeah. woe betide if you'd left early. It was that thing of some people leaving early and people going, what, where are you going? You know, the madness of it, because, yeah, it was a great victory. So, we, uh, as you said earlier on, JK, we dispatched Man City in a very tough, tight, tactical game. Uh, 1-0 to us through a Smethurst goal at home, and then we went through through an away goal, uh, scored, I believe, by Healy, whoever he was, uh, on 42 minutes. But we kept them out. Really clever, classic. Se- Cla- Sexton was a very good ta- uh, tactical manager, uh, and he, he did very well. Their City, of course, as we know, were the holders, although in the league they finished in 11th, so they perhaps weren't the side that they had been, although... With the likes of uh, just looking at who was in their side, J.K. Uh, Tony Book, Neil Young, uh, Neil Young, not not the uh, not the rock singer, obviously. Uh, Summerby was playing. Franny Lee, no Colin Bell, interestingly enough. Yes, I remember so that one. Neil Young. I'm sure I've told this story before. At the uh, at the home tie, um, uh, uh, I was trying to get autographs, and I was standing about, and uh, and he said to me, "Yeah, he said, uh, you know where." Uh, you know, there's a park round here, kidder. And I said, uh, um, yeah, I think there's, you can go down Eelbrook Il- Common around the corner there. And, uh, and he went, great. And, and one of the other girls who was collecting autographs, he, he, he I'd say she, was, she wasn't that young. Um, he proceeded to, the coach went off one direction, he went off into the other. So uh, I wonder what he was up to. Anyway, so we end up in Athens uh, for the final. Um, oh, by the way, actually, in that City game, uh, Keithy Weller also had a blinder in, in that. Uh, apparently a brilliant Weller free kick pushed in by the City keeper uh, away. That's what helped us into the final. Uh, so Weller took free kicks as well. Now, uh, the final in the Karias Kakis Stadium in uh, Piraeus in Athens. Uh, the interesting thing about this, uh, my memories, I mean, obviously it was, you know, it went to 1-1 the first match very quickly. I mean, basically that was nigh on tragedy. I mean, Aussie scored a great goal. Aussie, as a very Drogba-esque in a way, loved scoring in finals, didn't he, JK? Yeah. Uh, he scored on 56 minutes. Uh, really good goal. Good shot. 1-0. Absolutely in control. Typical Chelsea. Zocco gets the equaliser right on uh, literally the last kick of the game. And apparently I was watching it today, the highlights, and... The police, Barry Davies and his wonderful... I, I always think that Barry Davies sounded a bit like Michael Palin in, <laughs> in Monty Python. If you listen back to him, you'll see what I mean. 
he's got. I don't know what it is. It's just the tone he comes out with. But he was saying in the you know because BBC televised the uh, the replay yeah. live on TV, and that's the on the DVD that I've got. And he was saying that you know how unlucky Chelsea were because the police were already ringing around to prepare to you know give Ch- Chelsea the trophy. And then bloody Zocco scores in the last minute. Now, did, did, did Dempsey make a mistake? If I remember, uh, in, in uh, yes, he might have done. He might have. Done. I can't remember. Do, what do you called, What do you remember? The first we called Dempsey. You know what? Demps. Demps. Well, how about that? Yeah. What do you remember? The first leg. Um, uh, great goal from Osgood. Uh, I uh, I saw the. It was only the highlights. I remember seeing. But you know, you do that thing of uh, of not. Um, they only had the highlights. Yeah. Exactly. Do you know what? I, I found this out today because on the DVD that I've got, they've got the highlights of the first uh, first match where it was clearly filmed. It's filmed. Yeah. And it's in colour because we're wearing the infamous or the famous blue kit with the yellow socks. Yeah. Of course, Real Madrid playing playing white, bit like Leeds Absolutely. in the seventy final. But it, um, it shows you the ta- at the time what uh, British TV and what uh, thought about the Cup Winners' Cup, the fact that it wasn't live and it was only highlights. But they had the the, the second match live indeed, on BBC. Indeed, Kenneth Wilson realised that there was an opportunity to get some revenue for it from the yeah, second. maybe so. Well, let's let's zoom along to the to the second the second match. I mean, you, you, now you're quite excited. It's on BBC, so you're watching Kenneth Wilson home do his thing. What do you remember of the final? Um, I just remember us being in. Uh, I thought in control most of the time. I thought it was such a good side. And they were, they were supposed to be the great Real, but they, I think the the bu- they weren't the, the bubble had they weren't the bubble had burst after the first one, you know we we'd seen that that they were there for the taking, and we should have won it, and it was uh, consequently it was it was something that I thought we well you you know never know with Chelsea, but um, we we hoped we'd win, so uh, um, we thought we'd win, um, uh, you know there it, it was it was a. Uh, terrific um um i mean of course dempsey scored the first goal didn't he um with a head he did I remember and then uh and ozzy scored another one and um uh, let me just let, let me just one. read what get one in the last well I'll, I'll, i'm just going to read this passage about another book from a mate we can plug here but this is the bible for chelsea this is a uh, chelsea football club the complete record from uh our mate rick glanville uh and uh also i should should hasten to add because he he co-wrote this with uh Paul Dutton, who's also a Chelsea statistician. Uh, and there's just a couple of passages here. It says, The final at the Karyakis Stadium uh, was an engaging game of nip and tuck, artistry, then resistance. Charlie Cook and Bonetti were in superb form, but it was Osgood who scored what looked the winner until a John Dempsey error allowed Madrid to level just as the ceremonial ban was ready to match on the pitch. So yet again we do it, snatching a you know defeat from the jaws of victory. So Chelsea... Uh, Madrid to level just as the ceremonial ban was ready to march on the pitch. David Webb was awesome in a pressured extra time. So yeah, um, Flightis scored on seventy-five minutes. So we were fifteen minutes that's away why, from that's winning. Why I remember it exactly. Yeah, that. yeah, the same thing happened again. Yeah, God. Anyway, um, basically, yes. David Webb brilliant in extra time, and and then Dempsey, uh, uh, as I said, uh, you know. What you what you're holding your head in your hands, J.K. It's all come flooding back to me. It's all come flooding back. Yes, it's all come. I remember it so well. It's that thing of one nil. Think, please don't score. Please don't score. Oh God, they've scored. Oh God, it's that. Oh. No. Anyway, um, he says here in the second leg. Uh, now text. Now Sexton's tactical nails shone through. 
with a brave 4-3-3 formation in which Alan Hudson, Baldwin and Cook again starred. Chelsea dominated early on. Dempsey redeemed himself, driving home a follow-up from his own header and Osgood struck brilliantly from the edge of the box to make it two. Uh, Rail managed pressure and one goal, but Chelsea's heroes would not be denied and danced around the Cariacas Stadium at the end as Ron Harris held the trophy aloft. Another star could be added to the famous Chelsea badge. We cannot underestimate how brilliant Hudson was. Yes, exactly. I mean, absolutely. Match of his life. Phenomenal player. And uh, I keep forgetting about him in my, my assessments of Chelsea's best players because, uh, I mean, the skill from that boy, 18, bloody hell. And um, uh, it just, once again, the fact that he was he went off to Stoke um, uh, was just a disaster for the club at that period because they had such good players. It was such a good team. The joy that you had watching these guys play, you know. But anyway, yeah. Well, I think you're right. And I think, you know, Charlie Cook was excellent. By the way, Charlie Cook... Charlie Cook came into midfield for that second match because John Hollins, who had been our absolute rock that season, was injured. John Hollins played in the first match, uh, but not the second yeah. uh, because he was injured. So Charlie Cook came in and played. played for Palace Cook when he was transferred yeah. there. Yeah. So Charlie Cook came in. But Charlie Cook, uh, you know, David Webb, uh, Tommy Baldwin, Ozzy, and particularly Alan Hudson were, were brilliant. But I'd, I'd say that was, you know... Uh, Alan Hudson's greatest moment as a Chelsea player, and he would say that himself. Just to finish this up, uh, the, the, uh, there's another uh, lovely side to this, which kind of resonates with what we were saying earlier on, because this was kind of as good as it got for Chelsea for a while, and it, it did in many respects go downhill after here. Um, in between, there were two days. Basically, they played the first leg on Wednesday, the 19th of May, would you believe? That's a special day on a Chelsea calendar, isn't it? Uh, Wednesday the 19th of May was the first match. The second match was played two days later yeah. on the 21st of May. Now, of course, half most of the Chelsea supporters had to go home. Uh, whereas, uh, I mean, for example, the attendance in the first match was 45,000. In the second, it was only 24,000. Now, I think we had about 3,000 Chelsea fans out there from what I'm led to believe, but it could have been more, I don't know. And from what I understand, there are only about 200 left for the Friday game. The Chelsea players, their recuperation after the first leg, which of course the first match, which of course had gone to extra time, was to spend the entire day drink in a drinking session at the hotel, drinking cocktails led by Aussie Alan Hudson and Tommy Baldwin and Johnny Boyle. I have this word of mouth from Johnny Boyle and Huddy and uh, Tommy Baldwin. Um, they basically just got shit-faced in the hotel on a, fr- on a big drinking session. This is the day before the second match. Uh, also, the, you know, because there were so many Chelsea fans that had stayed over with nowhere to stay, that half of them stayed. And t- Tommy told me he had they had pl- they had fans sleeping in their room, Brilliant. joining in. I mean, it's just classic Kings of the Kings Road drunken lunacy. And then they turn up the next day, and I watched some of the highlights today, and there's no doubt, J.K. and Dane, they were absolutely in control for most of that match. Yeah. You know, Real Madrid really hardly had a kick. And they were quite an average side for them because actually by not winning that match, Real Madrid failed to get into Europe for the first time in about 15 years. So that tells me that they they weren't even doing that well in the league. But um, they're still Real Madrid and we beat them in a final to win a European Cup and we did it half-pissed. I love that. Obviously Real Madrid missed the trick. They should have went on the razzle as well. (laughs) Well, the the interesting thing is, Dane, is that if you go, go and read Tim's book, um, you know, we, we said that it all began to go a bit pear-shaped uh, after this. 
but half of that was down to the culture that they had. Chelsea were a very difficult side to manage with a lot of big egos like Ozzy and Huddy, Tommy. You know, they they were they were they were just a really difficult team to manage. They liked to do their own thing, and they wouldn't be told. And Dave Sexton was a great tactician, but not a brilliant man manager, and he didn't really know how to manage them. And, you know, when when everything was going great and they were winning, it was fine. But when they hit a bit of a wall, it's different. And I think, you know, whilst it's 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 brilliant from our point of view that we had this great team that used to love getting pissed and still be able to turn up, actually, I think in the end, that may have been what did for them. I don't know, Jake, yeah. what do you think? Um, I heard that he couldn't actually deal um, with them in the end. Uh, it, 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 it became too much for him. And I think he was quite a, a sensitive soul, Sexton, from what I heard. And uh, it was all it was all too much for him. Um, and it's no coincidence, of course, he went to Queen's Park Rangers and uh, and they became a powerhouse for a short period and almost won the league in 76 with um, with David Webb and McClintock, obviously playing with them as well. And um, uh, and Johnny Hollins, um, who was the other Chelsea player who played for them? Venables. Venables. Yeah. yeah. Captain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they were a top side. And because he was so tactically astute, and um, yeah, you it, the egos were were too enormous at Chelsea. Was such... I think I think actually, if Sexton had stayed and there had been a bit of money, you'd have seen some of these some of the 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 more difficult players being moved out, but being replaced with with top notch players. And that's not what happened no. because of the money. Indeed, 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 indeed. Well, I don't know about you two. Actually, like, final word to Dane, really, because uh, I know it's difficult when uh, you know Jonathan and I are in full flow, even though I wasn't there. But Dane, well, you know, just that's some thoughts for you on this. Yeah, I love the story about them being having a good drink and having supporters in 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 their rooms. It's funny. I did notice substitutes. Was there more substitutes allowed in the European competitions than there was in the league? Yeah, no. must have been four, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Were they? Were they really? Yeah, two substitutes in the first leg. Uh, Tommy Baldwin come on and Paddy Mulligan. So just yeah, that intrigued me quite a bit. Yeah, obviously, 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 being the age I have, I've I've heard so much about so many of these players, and it, I do. Although I don't, I have no memory of. Oh, I've never watched him. I wasn't born, but yeah, I hold him in such high esteem. I have a couple of. Peter Osgood collectible, you know, autographs. I've read quite a few of the books and yeah, I'd recommend any of the books, even the ones you said, Tim Rolls one, that's a, that's a wonderful book. Just to get a, a feeling of what life was like at Chelsea in these these times and very envious of Jonathan, you know, he tells some wonderful stories. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds so amazing. A lot of misery have, there, Dane, a lot of misery. I would, yeah, I can imagine, but I would have loved to have that period. Here. That Tim Rolls book is fabulous. I absolutely is, agree. Yeah fabulous book and uh but uh, the the horror i had with it was that i knew what was going to happen and it still upset me <laughs> yes it is, isn't it because it was you thought oh no that terrible event oh god yeah oh no <laughs> and uh and uh my dad was was uh, was very much involved with my support at the time and uh he and i just you know just used to discuss you know i was little and yet i still discussed you know the whole process of of doherty's the, the the Blackpool thing when he just dropped everybody was I was so so upset about. Em- is that when Emily Hughes broke Ozzy's leg? Was that? Was oh no, he- that was uh, that was um, uh, that was later on. That was. Oh, 60- was that was that sixty seven? Chidge, do you remember when uh, Ozzy's leg? A bit earlier than that, I think. Was it sixty? 60- no, it was 60- I, I, yeah, I think. Was it? Um, 
I can't remember is the honest earlier, answer. That was that was with Bridges and all the other players. Uh, um, I, I wonder if that was. I wonder if you're right, actually. Because I thought they all went looking for Emily Hughes, and that was the problem. If you want that night, that's why they all went out. There. That's not in Tim's book. That's a good one, actually. Yeah, maybe, maybe I've maybe I've missed. No, I must look it up. You're absolutely right. Yes, because it was Emily Hughes who was involved in the in the tackle with him. Yeah, you're right. Was he, he was anyway. for Blackpool at the time? Yeah, yeah, right. I think he was. Yeah, you're right. Right, chaps, time is a moving on. Uh, I have really enjoyed that little uh, journey down memory yeah, lane, JK. Thanks thanks for recalling it as much as you do. Now, obviously, we won't be doing it next week because we're going to have the 500th special, but the week after, we will be talking about the 71-72 season, which is a weird old season because we ended up in the League Cup. That was our last trip to Wembley until 1986, really, wasn't it? So that'll be a fun one to talk about losing to Stoke City in the cup final. Uh, the release of Blue is the Colour, of course. So there's a few things to talk about with that one. So uh, make sure you read your books before then, and then we can talk about it effusively. Right, talking about talking about things effusively, uh, we're going to be doing your emails next. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy. And you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Football Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. Um, one thing I forgot to say, actually, at the end of our little trip down memory lane. Uh, I did a load of interviews, as you probably heard me talking about, with the likes of Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle. John Bumpstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, Canners and Danny Eccles-Harkins. And they're all for the Chelsea special. So if you liked hearing about what we're talking about uh, from some of these old matches, then who better to listen to than the players that actually played in that? And a lot of them did, as you heard there. So you can do that by going to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and for a small charge, you can download each one. They're £2.99 each because basically we, we paid the players quite a lot of money to do these interviews and we need to kind of claw some of that money back. But uh, if you subscribe to Podbean and go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and then click on Buy Single Episode Now, uh, basically you, on, the, on the homepage it's got all of the uh, interviews there listen, uh, listed up there. So click on the one you want, Buy Single Episode Now. It takes you straight to the place where you go and pay. Uh, by PayPal or credit card, and then you can download and listen to it. They are absolutely brilliant. I mean, they these old boys, they really opened up to me and Martin, and it was just a delight being able to interview them, let alone listen to what they were having to say. So it was brilliant. So go and do that. Uh, there is a website, chelseaspecial.com, and uh, it's also on Twitter, at Chelsea underscore special, and Facebook, at the Chelsea Special. Right, now, dear people, uh, our highlight of the week, JK, isn't it? We have emails for you and we have one from the lovely Vinod Iyer. The marvellous Vinod Iyer who uh, tweets expertly. Hello everyone. Trust you're doing well in these unusual times. Most of us don't understand what it is to struggle for basic necessities. None of us were alive during the Spanish flu or the last world war. Well, at least most of us weren't. Football really pales in the face of a catastrophe of such epic proportions, but that's one of the few things we have to keep our sanity intact. It's escapism, yes, but it's essential. I run a business which has come to a complete standstill as it's dependent on social events. 
there's only so many times I can run the same scenarios in my head. In such unprecedented times, I'm pleased that you plan to continue with the podcast. Yay. Given that there isn't much to discuss with a lack of football, I hope more of the listeners contribute by writing letters. Doesn't matter what they write. Everyone has opinions. Many have stories to tell. There are so many indelible memories when it comes to supporting our beloved Chelsea. I'd love to listen to those, as I did with the podcast where JK talked about his experiences. Thank you, Bernard. I suspect we could do another five such episodes. We have done. I'm at awe of his, not just for me, but everybody else. I'm at awe of his memory. Thank you, Nance. Yeah. I'm so old, Bernard. I went for a pre-season fixture against Bayern that was played in Singapore a couple of years back and I had no memory of the goals we scored. You'd be surprised how many I can't remember. I had to look up the highlights on YouTube to watch the goals. Anyhow, I'll leave you all with a question. I'm sure we all have players that played for rival clubs, but we secretly, but we secretly or not, they played for us. I'm sure we all have players played for rival clubs, but we secretly or not, they were uh, something. But anyway, so who are the top three such players you wished played for Chelsea? Few conditions. They should never have played for Chelsea, so Salah won't count. Number two, they should have played for a Premier League or English First Division club. It would be interesting if you can make a team of 11 such players. Will it have players from our rivals, like 70s Leeds? Ah, ha ha, up the Chelsea. Cheers, Vinod. Very good question, Vinod. Very good indeed. Blimey. What players would we like to have played for us? Uh, <clears throat> who should we start with? Should we start with the goalie, Chidge? Well, I, I do. We have to. I think it can be any three players, can't it? Uh, oh, two top three players. Sorry, I'm thinking of an eleven because he said make. It no, 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 no. Just three, players. three. Top the three players you would have loved to have seen played for Chelsea. Um, George Best. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Banks. Hmm. And um, who from the more modern era? Thierry Henry. Hmm. Nice choice, uh, Dane. Uh, I. Well, my favourite non-Chelsea striker of all time was Marco van Basten. We can include AC Milan as a rival. I'd like to have, I'd like to have him. I uh, always had a soft spot for Roy Keane for some reason. I don't know if I'd like him to have played for us, but <laughs> if you a... had a soft spot, and he'd have gone for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is a tough one. Uh, who else could I add to that? I was actually quite intrigued to the Gerrard one, if and where he would have fitted in. I, I think a better manager would have would have would have got him and Frank playing together because at the time obviously they would have had Makaleli uh, protecting them, shielding them, and they could have gone off and done their thing. So I'd say the top two, Gerrard uh, and Van Basten, and I'd like to think of a third one. Actually, I've been. I'll come back to the third one. I'll let you, you do that. I know exactly what mine are. Well, obviously, I, I saw the email earlier, so I've cheated, as I do. Um, uh, but um, George Best, Jonathan, we agree with something. That makes a change, Judge. I know. George Best. Of course, he nearly did. In fact, he did. He played in a testimonial, didn't he? Yeah. There's that wonderful picture of him in a Chelsea shirt, and he looked yeah. beautiful in it. Yeah. Uh, and he did want to play for Chelsea, apparently, in that kind of weird period in the in the early seventies when he was going massively off the rails. And of course, he lived in Oakley Street, didn't yeah. he? In Chelsea, he drank in that pub, didn't he? Down Oakley Street, he did. Didn't he? Yeah. yeah, great boozer, by the oh. way. You must know that oh, boozer. Calling. Anyway, yeah, Georgie Best. I'd have loved to have seen him play for Chelsea. Uh, Johan Cruyff. Yeah, 
My God, I would have killed to have seen him play for Chelsea because he was one of my all-time favourite players. In fact, I modelled my own playing style on Johan Cruyff, <laughs> obviously. Uh, certainly the cigarette-smoking element of it. Um, and finally, this is a tough one. Uh, you know, more modern players. I'm tempted to say Paul Gascoigne uh, because Gazza would have been a brilliant kind of player for Chelsea. We were massively linked to him, wasn't we? We were. We were. Uh, we didn't need him. Yeah, apparently a bit like Matt Letizia, of course, who I think would have been a wonderful Chelsea player. But I'm going to discount Gaza because he played for Spurs, so that immediately counts him out of everything. So I'm instead going to say one of my all-time favourite players, period, and that is Brian Robson, who, as a kid, I just loved Brian Robson. I know he played for United and everything like that. Captain Marvel for England. I love the guy. I mean, I if you know, I love skillful players. Always have done, but there's something about a player who was box to box, bust a lung, could score goals, who could break people's legs, and be a real just led by example. I mean, a real leader. I loved Robbo. I'd have loved to have seen him play for Chelsea. I, and I, I was lucky enough to interview him back in 2005 for a program I was making. And he was he was the West Brom manager at the time, and he was lovely. And and I I sat him down, and, and he had a lovely grin on his face. And I said to him, I said, Brian, I've got to say, I said, as a as a sixteen year old boy, I think I was sixteen, sixteen, seventeen, can't remember. He said, I I ran home from college to to watch England play France in the nineteen eighty two World Cup, and uh, and you scored that goal in seventeen seconds, and, I, and I'm so glad I ran, and I, I you know I ran all the way home to watch it on the box. I said I'm so glad I did that, and and he just loved it. He, we had a lovely chat about that. He's a really lovely bloke, very funny guy. But my God, what a footballer! I think I'd have loved to see him play there. So there you go. Your third choice, Dane. Yeah, Your sorry, third I, choice, I, Dane. I actually just have to correct myself. We was actually interested in Paul Ince, and Rude Hullett said, "Oh no, we've got Eddie Newton. We don't need him." But I do remember us being linked <laughs> to Gascoigne. Uh, I think I was quite excited when we was linked to Ian Wright. I think Hoddle was the manager and uh, we were struggling to score goals and something went on. I think Ian Wright has spoken about it. I don't know if they couldn't agree on wages or whatever, but we did get really close. And I remember being quite excited about that. So I'd say Ian Wright. He made a really good purchase, actually, that period. He was a, he was a terrific striker. Yeah, I think so. a couple of them was injured. I don't know if it was, if it was Steen or... Spencer might have been that era, but I remember, yeah, us being heavily linked to him. All right, well done, folks. Vinod, brilliant email as ever, mate. I'll tell you what, people, when there's no football going on, you know, there's nothing really current to talk about apart from me going off on one at the beginning about all sorts of stupidity that's going on. I love emails like this. You know, we've been around the block a long time. Everybody who's on this show has been around the block a long time. Ask us really interesting stuff like that. I love questions like that. Anyway, talking of uh, emails where <clears throat> from people who've been around the block, uh, this is great. I'm loving this one. This is from Andrew Eldridge, who, if you're in Mixler, it's Andy the Hutch. He's a top, top bloke. I, I, when we all get back to this uh, football, one thing I do miss, as you all know, is being in the pub. So, Andy, next time there's a match and you're down, uh, come and have a pint or three with us. It'd be lovely to meet you. Anyway, he says, Hi, Dave, JK and the gang. Uh, Chelsea's Mr. Influential, question mark, open to discussion. Who was he? The most influential man in the history of Chelsea. Player? Manager? No. It was, in my opinion, love him or hate him, one Kenneth William Bates. For a minute, Andy, I thought you said Kenneth Williams. 
which would have been very interesting. But anyway, oh, no. Ken, no, 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 no. Anyway, one Kenneth William Bates. That went a bit Frankie Howard, that didn't it? Anyway, one Kenneth William Bates, now eighty-eight, born fourth of December, nineteen thirty-one. For all his arrogance and pig-headedness, I believe without him, Chelsea would most likely not be in existence and certainly not be where we are right now. Strangely, I quite miss the buzz and unpredictability of those yo-yo years, but history has shown since what we fans would we would have missed out on. Today, the 2nd of April 2020, I'm reliably reminded by Marco Worrell and inspired to write because this is the 38th anniversary of when he famously paid £1 for the club. People might say the rest is history, but what was that history that makes me give him the accolade? As Jimmy Greaves said, through all their bad times, I've often thought, if only somebody with vision and determination could get hold of the reins, there is still hope for Chelsea. Remember the taunts from the Scousers? Stamford Bridges falling down? I hated it. My blue blood would boil. But they were sadly right. Jimmy went on. Then along came Ken Bates, and I knew that here was a man big enough and bold enough to steer Chelsea away from the precipice. Yes, it seemed we really were that close. 21 years he gave to the club in sole charge, and although he often upset the fans, probably no more so than when he fell out with the benefactor Matthew Harding, I feel he had the club at heart. Although it is said he came out with a tidy sum of around 18 million profit, I don't think people can really argue about how influential he was. Of course, we could talk of Gus and Joe Mears, without whom we would never have come into existence. And then there was dear Matthew Harding and the funding support he made available for the stadium rebuild. Not least the millions that Roman Abramovich has poured in to make the club so successful since 2003. They are all very special in their own right, and I'm grateful to how they've all touched my life through their efforts. So why do I ignore players and managers by putting Uncle Ken as the man with the biggest influence? From the edge of the abyss, he set us off toward being European champions. Wow. Pride of London cannot be denied. One, on the verge of bankruptcy, he bought the club for £1. Two, he fended off massive press hatred toward himself and the club. We were the most despised club in the land back then. Three, he fought off SB and Marla as they attempted to evict the club from Stamford Bridge and all the while the media wanted him to fail. Four, the Save the Bridge campaign was launched and he looked for every which way he could to generate money for the club while we chucked money into our buckets. Five, the pit Chelsea pitch owners was created to protect the club from ever being put in such a precarious position, again with the aim of creating so many individual Chelsea-loving shareholders and the hope and expectation that it would become an insurmountable barrier against unscrupulous property speculators. Six, following the near-disastrous relegation to Division 3 in 1982-3, he authorised the signings of one Kerry Dixon and a raft of other players, including Wee Pat Nevin, Earwig Joe McLaughlin, Eddie Nijveki and Nigel Spackman, which enabled us to go on, in my opinion, to have one of the best ever seasons for enjoyment that I've ever witnessed, culminating in the utter 5-0 destruction of Leeds United and the biggest ever invasion of the Stamford Bridge that I've ever witnessed. What more can any old-school Chelsea fan ask for? 7. Memories of the electric fences he brought in and the big fur coat as he appealed on a loud hailer for calm at Derby County's baseball ground while our fans destroyed the Osmerson Road stand as if to prove we were worse than Leeds who'd done the same the week before. Brilliant. There was certainly a detectable, a detectable attitude uh, back then, whatever Leeds did. Chelsea would have to do better. The hatred for Leeds was immeasurable. The ca- Eight, the Members' Cup he created that gave us two great days at Wembley. Nine, the doggedness to follow through his master plan to rebuild the stadium. Ten, crucially, he built it. Uh, he brought in Glenn Hoddle, who managed the club firstly to a disappointing Wembley defeat before utilising his pulling power to attract star names like Hullet and Viali Hughes ETC. When Glenn heard the call from the FA to manage England, 
Thankfully, Ken listened to the fans for once, when we told him in no uncertain terms throughout the game and pitch parade afterwards where to stick George Graham. Up your arse, as I recall. Mm. Uh, I doubt he would ever admit it, but he didn't really have a choice. It was amusing, but one of the most passionate chants I've ever heard at the bridge. So Rude became manager, which led to the first current international, Italian international to leave and play outside his country, Robbie Di Matteo. This was a big moment, as it was Chelsea, as it was Chelsea had come to. That followed by many people's all-time favourite Gianfranco Zola. All of this took us to a fabulous 1997 FA Cup final win and the longest ever match celebration held at Wembley that I could thankfully share with my young 13-year-old son 30 years after I'd begun my own support for the club. Further on and into an exhilarating European journey where I spent the best four days of my life in Stockholm. He ultimately did the deal with Roman, and although it lined his pockets for his efforts, I do not begrudge him that, as this was the ultimate deal that took us right to the very top. Loads and loads of money was the chant. To throw that back at the sniping scousers who cried, it's not fair, was sheer delight. On a personal note, he made me a happy man. I wrote to him and the CISC, which I think is the Chelsea Independent Supporters Club, literally offering to bash their heads together because of the constant bickering in his chairman's programme notes and theirs in the fanzine. As a result, uh, that's the original fanzine, actually, isn't it? That's what I was talking about. Anyway, as a result of that, I was invited to the AGM of the CISC and met a few of the guys down there over a beer. Ken himself rang me personally, completely out of the blue. Hello, it's Ken here, he said. Ken who? I said abruptly. Who is Ken, I thought? Another fucking cold caller? Anyway, he invited me down to come and have a chat and be his guest at the next home game, which turned out to be Leicester the week after they had won the League Cup in 1997. Flower presentations and all, I'll never forget that day because I had the great honour to have lunch, poached salmon, mash and peas in the boardroom, sitting next to and chatting with my favourite actor of all time, Sir Richard Attenborough. Oliver Skeet was guest of honour and Ken challenged him to a red wine drinking contest. Having won that, unbelievably, the next challenge was to the Leicester chairman before asking anybody else. He was in his element. They necked an expensive bottle like I would a lager after a month in the Sahara. It never touched the sides. The following game came as a shock as I was escorted to my seat by none other than the king himself, Peter Osgood. I was gobsmacked. I had the pleasure to have a beer with him on a later date, but that first time was a wow moment. However, the most amusing moment of the day was when, before the game, Ken asked me to sit next to a female who was something to do with planning at the Fulham Council, and he asked me to go to work on her about the benefits the stadium developments were bringing to the area, and at the same time he wanted me to deal with the questions about offside, as apparently she knew nothing about football, and I was now to be his stooge for 90 minutes. For me, he was a lovable rogue, and he was the most influential person to have graced the club. I guess if you could take him away from his business environment, he would be a great character to have a few beers with down the pub. When you think that his influence went beyond Chelsea in the FA setup, where he had a hand in the Premier League's creation and also the rebuilding of Wembley, I don't expect everyone agree will agree, but I'd like to think the majority would see him as I do. Chelsea's Mr. Influential. Keep healthy, guys and gals. Up the Chelsea, Andy the Hutch. And Andy is on Twitter, at Hutch10Chelsea. <laughs> Former season ticket holder for many years from Burton on Trent. Wow, what a monster, brilliant email, uh, Andy. Uh, thank you so much. Jonathan, what do you have to say to that? Well, um, I knew various people who'd done business with Ken and uh, didn't like him at all as a consequence. And in fact, some were Chelsea fans and uh, went to support Fulham. They were so uh, aghast at the way he'd treated them. Um so with that knowledge, um, I was very wary of when the few times that I met him. But as I told you last week, I became uh, 
Susanna's actor friend through having spoken to her on those strange moments that I was allowed to purchase a director's box seat to go to away games because he was so after money. But I would agree completely with um, with Andy that uh, uh, he completely saved the he saved the club and um, uh, and through his de his decision to bring Hoddle in and create the bond that he did the the huge fifty million. Well, it was huge then, but uh, he borrowed fifty million. And then um, uh, bought all the players and, and uh, the, that gave us all the success in the 90s, including Viali, and backed up um, Hoddle. So his um, his prescience, his uh, his vision was outstanding. And he wrote absolutely wonderful programme notes that we all watched, we all read every week, which no other manager has ever managed to achieve. And a manager, any um, chairman. Um, uh, in fact, nobody has no managers do. It's not there's, it's not an interesting part of the program anymore. But it was it was perfect reading because he was always he was either praising somebody wonderfully uh, or having a go at somebody. So you always see who his mates were. He was very fond of Queens Park Rangers and just was saying how well they'd done. I remember reading some program notes about that. But he uh, at the same time would find something to have a go at. And um, as as Andy says, um, uh but he was, and he was also very good at using people's abilities um, to see if he could make something out of it. I remember telling him that I was, um, I was doing voiceovers at the time, and he uh, he said to me, um, "So uh, could I could I create a little studio? Do you think would I make any money out of that?" Um, when I spoke to him, so he was obviously keen on. Uh, it was always a business. There was always a business angle for him. But yes, in terms of what he did for the club. Um, uh, and also, he was very maligned over the Matthew Harding situation because um, uh, there was that dreadful period where everybody seemed to be very keen to replace Ken with Matthew Harding because Matthew Harding was considered, I don't know, more of a fan of the, a man of the people, a fan of the club and somehow in touch with the supporters. And, um, and I think a lot of things were said about what, I think what it was was that everybody was very hungry for, for huge success when Matthew Harding was was around, which we were on the verge of getting, and they felt that somehow um, uh, an infusion of of youth would would bring it more quickly, and um, uh, and I think there was some jiggery pokery going on with who actually would be owning the club, from what I heard, uh, and the stories about um, uh, Matthew Harding weren't as um, weren't as positive as actually everybody was uh, was was hearing. And his relations with Matthew Harding. So, I, I, in in terms of his of what he did for the club in that period, there would be no club at all without Ken Bates. And so, for me, that's uh, that's a great statement by by Andy that he's absolutely right. For me, the the success of the club is built upon there being a club in the first place, and then Ken's um, taking the risk of borrowing fifty million. And setting up the um, uh, uh, the uh, the pitch owners, of course, which was uh, um, was absolutely brilliant thing to have done. So I would agree I, with him completely. I, th I think um, actually, you know, Liam wrote a really good article in Guess What, Jonathan, the Athletic, Athletic, which goes into really good detail. A lot of which I've forgotten about what what the efforts that Ken Bates made to keep the club out of the clutches yeah. of Marla and then Cabra and then RBS. The court battles he waged, the, the delaying tactics, but uh, as Bonnie Red Blue says uh, in on, on Mixler, 
uh, it sounds like we've got to thank Andy for getting the planning permission for the reincarnation <laughs> of Stamford Bridge by impressing yes. the uh, female councillor with his description of the offside rule. Yeah. Uh, Dane, uh, what what do you have to say about uh, for, about uh, what do we used to call him, Captain Birdseye? I think in the yeah. back in the day, wasn't it? Well, firstly, <laughs> I'd just like to thank Andrew. That was an outstanding email, very well put together. Uh, being a little bit younger, I my only experience of Ken Bates was being uh, getting a clip round the ear roll off him. Uh, obviously, I've told you previously, Chids, for being little buggers. We used to hang around, living five minutes from the ground. We used to hang around there a lot, and sometimes we might manage to find a way in with a football, and sometimes we didn't. And one time we was hovering outside the stadium. He come out, and we obviously we go and get his autograph. I don't know why. It was just someone to do with Chelsea. And he clipped two of us around the ear rolls and said, was you the ones who got into the ground last week? No, 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 Ken, it wasn't us. Just remember what you'll get if I catch you doing it. Uh, so being young, yeah, it's a, it was a hard one. Uh, it's a hard one to get involved with. Obviously, it a hard clip, Ken Bates. It a hard clip? Did he clip you hard? Uh, around well, ear? one of us got like a proper clout around the back of the head and I just sort of got my ear a little clip round the ear. I think he sort of missed me. I moved a little bit. I was a bit more quicker on my... Agile. <laughs> but he did it with a twinkle in his eye. And in those days, you used to get a, a bit of a clout around the ear so much. You didn't ever take it to a fence or go and tell your, your mum or any relative. Or the police. Yeah, so I used to go a lot to the reserve games as well. And he'd always be there. Uh, and he'd always, he'd always like treat you... You know, you knew you was a Chelsea sport. He'd always give you the time of day and... I found him as a nice man. Obviously, yeah, I was too young to know that the politics and what, what was going on. I loved I loved the one point he made about, oh, yeah, how he created the Members' Cup so we would have two great days at Wembley. That was <laughs> Well, he was a bit Marmite, uh, but I think on balance, you know, you'd, you'd have a heart of stone if you didn't appreciate the fact that not only did he, well, he saved he saved the club beyond doubt in the early 80s and actually really it all came to fruition in the early 90s um, and I think you have to get, applaud him for the vision that he had in hiring Glenn Hoddle I mean that came out of nowhere and I mean I think most of us would would, would accept that actually the, the success that we're currently enjoying really started under Hoddle and then Hullet and Viali and all of that lot coming in so you know, there's no doubt Ken was involved in that. So all power to his elbow. My favourite Ken moment, though, is the fact that uh, uh, DJ, DJ from CFC UK fame is the only person to successfully sue him for defamation, which, in fact, you know, the photograph that uh, that Andy was referring to uh, was basically drawn to celebrate DJ's uh, litigious success. So there we go. Now, uh, on that very happy note, uh, it's time for us to really kind of jack it in for tonight um i mean by the way actually it's a good little segue dane was was uh, alluding to an interview i did with him the other day because dane like all the fan casters maybe a few other people that i can beg borrow and steal uh, will be featuring in a forthcoming uh, my chelsea where i talked to this horrible lot for about half an hour or so about how they became chelsea fans what their favorite matches and best moments were some of their worst moments favorite players hero all that kind of thing they're really i mean if you lot have half as much fun listening to them as i do doing them then you will find an enriching an enriching experience and they come out 
every Friday in lieu of the fact that we no longer have a love sports show on the Friday. So do check that out. And if you're absolutely bored, stupid at home with nothing to do, then I could point you into the, the direction of our, our, one of our own, Alex Churchill, who in, in her day job is a historian. And she's been doing remarkable podcasts on history uh, featuring all sorts of people. She's just done one with Sean Bean talking about Sharp's rifles. I mean, good God. There's no end to this woman's talents. So look out for that one. I think that's coming out on East... The was uh, Jason Sulky, an actor... Yeah, who Harris. ...who I used to sit with in um, in the East Stand. No way. Yeah, he's a Chelsea fan. Big Chelsea fan, yeah. No way, so I didn't I know that. I said to, to Alex, sent her a note saying, did Jason mention that he, he was a Chelsea fan? And she said, yes. He said he was a blue. So uh, Bloody hell, I didn't know that. Yeah. We know Seen Bean's a Sheffield uh, United yeah. fan, of yeah. course, yeah. So there you go. So look out for that. Uh, that's the history hack with our, our one of our own, Alex Churchill, uh, historyhack.podbean.com. So same place as the Chelsea specials. There you go. Two for the price of one. Right. Now, sadly, or perhaps long overdue, probably the latter, uh, that is all we've got time for this week. Because guess what? We've talked so much, we do not get to play the Chelsea Fancast <laughs> Trivia Quiz. It's not a great... It's not a... I don't plan start this. With if, it. Start with it next week, Chidge. Or the, no, well, the maybe. Five, the week after, I mean. If there's no news, then you have to pray that there's no nothing for me to rant about at the beginning. Yeah. Or there are no emails, one or the other. All well, right. That's true. We, with the emails, we do debate the emails, don't we? So it's always good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So there you go. Anyway, so I'm sorry about that. The Chelsea Fancast Trivia Quiz will have to wait. Anyway, that is all the time. We, uh, all we've got time for this week. We will be back next Monday, as you know, for the 500th episode of the Chelsea Fancast. Jonathan and I will be joined by Dan, Clayton, Marco, Alex, Tony, Joe Tweed, Martin Wickham and Dean and Dane to have a good old reminisce about 500 episodes stretching back 12 years. My God, I must be bloody mad. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. And of course, the special that will be coming out at the same time with interviews with all the great people that have been involved from Dr. Martin, Sheridan Bird, Cheltel, all the way through to Cundy. Uh, Kerry Dixon and Paul Canneville, Neil Barnett. I'm doing one with him this week. It's going to be a cracker. So look at, look out for that one too. So you get two for the price of one next week. I love you people so much. You don't you I, you don't deserve me anyway. The Chelsea Fancast is available as a podcast, of course, on ChelseaFancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify, as well as other podcast distributors. And talking of which, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently point out right here for Chelsea fans everywhere this is the ultimate football app for you for match highlights interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast me at Stanford Chid Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd uh, Dean Mears at Dean Mears uh, Marco at Gate 17 Marco Joe at Joe Tweedy Clayton at Goalie59, Tony at Grocer Jack UK, Martin at Martin Wickham, Dan at DanSilv73, Liam at Liam underscore Toomey, Alex at CFCGWLB, and Dane on what, Dane? I don't, uh, I, I, D. Witt, isn't it? D. Witt9, I think. D. Witt9. D. Witt9, yeah, I think that's correct. D. W. I. T. T. No. Uh, so at D W H I T T then V number nine. Yeah. 
There we go. Uh, sorry about that. Remiss of me not to have written it in the script, but I get a bit lazy by the time I get to this part of the script. Uh, also, the great bloggers that we have at Clitheroe Blue, at Nick Stroudley, at Dean Mears and at CFCGWLB, all of whom have been furloughed, of course, because there's no football for them to write about. Um, and, of course, massive thanks, as ever, go to Dane for doing our uh, Instagram account, which is at Chelsea Fancast. Dane, tell the world about our Instagram account and how fabulous it is. It is fabulous. Uh, you don't have to thank me anymore. I think you thanked me enough <laughs> each and every week. And, uh, yeah, no, it is fabulous. Uh, obviously, I... Originally, I, I was trying to get as many new followers and many likes and, and, and hearts as possible. But what, once you get into it, it's just about doing, getting that one like and making that one person happy. And that's, that's good enough for me. Brilliant. Well, we do thank you because I, I really I need to get my head around it. I mean, even Jonathan knows how to use Instagram. So it's appalling that I can't figure it he out. He knows how to use Am Twitter because right? he's just followed me. <laughs> yes. I know. He's he he can multitask. He's not bad for an old bloke. He's he's all right. You say kids, sorry, you mate. Lovely, and I have to say, uh, it's been lovely to see you all tonight. I think you hey, know it, it really works, yeah. Chidge. Yeah, it's working for you, Jonathan. Hey, hey, it's finally working for me. Finally, it's taken this long. It's so good. Well, you I, wait till obviously usually hear Jonathan's voice. So seeing his facial expressions as well is is I've really I keep on having to mute to stop myself from laughing so much. Oh, mate, thank you. Thank you. Fine <laughs> debut. Fine <laughs> debut. I've got a bit tongue tied every just... now and again, but yeah. No, no, but, but... no solid start. It's difficult because we're both talking about particularly the the games when you weren't born. You know, twinkle. Yeah, I'll wait till we get to the mid eighties when I. Yeah, have... yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Definitely. Um, all right. Okay. That's it. You guys have been brilliant. Well done, Jonathan. Well done, Dane. Solid Absolute debut, as pleasure. I said. Thank you. Uh, people in Mixler, as always, you are you are really basically the reason we do the bloody show. You know, if you didn't turn up every week listening to us waffle on, I, you know, actually, do you know what? I'm lying. I'd still do it anyway. <laughs> but uh, I do love I do love you for turning up. That's for sure. Right. We're done. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue. Keep it carefree. Keep it chill. Up the juice. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.